Good evening. Thank you for tuning in to the most suspenseful, horrific, and macabre podcast around. Love what I love. <laughs> Thankfully for your listeners, though, I will not be doing my Hitchcock impression <laughs> for the entire time. <laughs> this is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy and Masha, and this week we're talking about Psycho. Psycho is a 1960 horror film written by Joseph Stefano and directed by Alfred Hitchcock. The film stars Anthony Perkins, Janet Leigh, and Vera Miles. The film centers on an encounter between Marion Crane, a female embezzler on the run, and Norman Bates, the shy proprietor of a secluded old motel where she decides to pull over and spend the night. Creepy. Creepy indeed. Was this movie like the beginning of the end for motels? Oh, probably. <laughs> I mean, yeah, every motel I've ever stayed in is kind of scary. Like, <laughs> just just knowing you're one, like, thin, shitty door away from anybody's psychotic. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm never comfortable when I'm on the road for work and, and they shove us in a motel. I've never stayed in a motel in my life. And really? I, yeah. And they always looked bad to me. My mom always hated motels, so. Damn. Never and oh, never I've been, will. <laughs> I've been in my fair share of dumps on with on the road gigs and stuff like that. Wow. Thankfully, not a lot though. I feel like most of my clients are pretty cool. They, they, they usually go with the hotel. They, they spring for the big budget. Mm. Oh. Um. So it was a very quick uh, turnaround in terms of buying the rights and making a movie. Yeah. And this movie cost about eight hundred and six thousand uh, dollars, but it grossed easily over fifty million, and that was on its first run. It was wow. subsequently re-released, and you know, once video came out, it's made a lot more money since then. But it was a, it was like a smash, like country That's phenomenon. Crazy, which is crazy for my picks because I always feel like I pick these movies that just die <laughs> in the box office, and later someone's like, yeah, check this out." Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, this. But uh, you're trending this episode. Yeah, this one took the world by storm. I mean, I think anybody, even any of our listeners who haven't seen this, they're going to be familiar with at least like the iconography. Yeah. Maybe the name of the main character, maybe certain scenes, you know what I mean? So yeah. that's what I can't wait to talk to you about. You know, I've this movie, I've seen it so many times since <laughs> I was a teenager. And the making of is, I was about to say it's almost just as interesting as the movie, but they've literally made movies about the making of this. <laughs> so it's a pretty interesting process of how this ended up getting made. Yeah. Um, but before we jump into all that, I know this is obviously your first time seeing Psycho. It's also your first ever Hitchcock movie. It is surprisingly. Was, yeah, it was a lot of pressure on me because it's not even it's not my it's not my favorite Hitchcock movie. Yeah, but it's I think it's a good one to start with. Mm. Um, it came later in his career. He was already established as Hitchcock and stuff like that. So oh, so this wasn't the beginning of Hitchcock. No, not even close. Wow, I think this is his forty eighth movie. During the silent era, he was cranking them out. He would make like two or three a year. So he got his numbers up real high. So I guess to start from the beginning, you know, like, I know you knew I liked Hitchcock. Just yes. Because I have books and DVDs and I talk about them. <laughs> Liked. <laughs> Love. <laughs> so what was your psycho experience prior to watching it? Well, like you mentioned, I was familiar with a lot of the iconography that's attached to this film. Okay. As someone who took a lot of film classes in college... I've seen so many clips of Hitchcock films. <laughs> And it's just crazy to me that I, I've just 
it, it's crazy to me that classes took the time to show us the clips, but never let us like watch the movie. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, that is weird. I mean, I, I, I totally could have seeked them out on my own because every time we did watch a Hitchcock clip, I was so interested in it. Mm. It was so captivating. But if I had to guess, <laughs> you've probably seen clips from like Vertigo, Rear Window. Yes. Yes. Um, let me see what else. Maybe maybe North by Northwest. You ever see the guy running in the field with the airplane coming after him? And you're like, it's like it looks like it's gonna hit him, and he ducks under it. Mm, I don't know if I've seen uh, that that's one. That's another fan. I'm trying to think of like his like most famous movies. But I have seen the shower scene um, that from this movie yeah, prior. I kind of figured we weren't gonna get into this without you knowing that was coming at least. <laughs> um, and obviously, we're not gonna get into details now because we're not anywhere near the spoiler section. But this movie is filled with spoilers, mm-hmm. and just like in a <laughs> this in a, movie is filled with spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Twist is the word I meant to say. Rewind that. <laughs> this movie is filled with plot twists, mm. especially for the time it came out. But um, without getting into the details of it, were there surprises in this for you? Or because it's so old and so iconic, you already knew kind of what was going to happen before it happened? Oh, no. There are definitely surprises for me. <laughs> for nice. sure. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. That's yeah. what I was hoping for. Yeah. And I, I had the same when I was a teenager. Like, I knew the big stuff, but there were still mm-hmm. certain things that, like, kind of, like, caught me off guard. And I was like, holy yeah. shit, this movie's crazy. I... I don't know if this is too early to say, but I definitely ghosted this movie. By that, I mean, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast yet, but when I showed Andy the movie Ghost for the first time Uh early on in our relationship. Oh, wow. Sorry. When you said ghosted (laughs) the movie, I thought you meant like when someone like ghosts, like like you were like, fuck that movie. I'm scared. Never watching it. I'm ghosting this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny because that makes sense. But that's why I felt like I had to explain what I meant by this. Continue. So when I when I first introduced the movie to you, you thought that the clay scene between Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore was the last scene. Yeah, I thought, of it, was the like movie. The, I thought it was like the climax of the movie. Like, yeah. I thought it was like the most important part of the <laughs> entire film. And so I'm just gonna stop it right there and just say I had a similar experience with this movie. Awesome, awesome. I know, <laughs> I know what you mean, but yeah, we'll, we'll leave the listeners on the edge of their seats. <laughs> Obviously, this is the first time I've watched this movie, but I was well aware of the movie, the popularity that comes behind it, and Hitch- Al- Alfred Hitchcock's, you know, his brilliance and his how much basically. his reputation, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So cool. And I was totally expecting to be like being unable to sleep, you know. I, I I think you put my mind at ease a little bit, being like, all right, this is a scary movie, but like for the 1960s. Yeah, yeah. Like- <laughs> When we get into details, like, we'll talk about how much people freak the fuck out over this movie. <laughs> like, everybody from censors down to audience members. But, yeah, I mean, horror is a little bit like comedy where as time goes on, we become... You know, like, with comedy, jokes... Good comedians build off stuff from the past. So, even though I love... Like, I love watching old TV. I could watch, you know, The Honeymooners and All in the Family all day. Mm-hmm. But if you tried to write those jokes today, I wouldn't find it funny. In, like, a modern show, I'd be like, guys... Let's let's grow a little bit. There here. has to be some sort of twist so, yeah. to it now. So I understand to, people watch yeah. old comedy and they're like, "That's not funny," because you know you've heard the joke. Who's on first? You know, right. We've all heard it. So with horror, I kind of feel the same way. Where this movie set so many like not ground rules, but just so many things that are now tropes were done for the first time here in this movie. Mm-hmm. That like nowadays you see them everywhere and you're just like desensitized to it. So I think you, people can still really recognize how good this movie is, but I don't think most modern people are going to be, like, legitimately scared by it. Right. But, I mean, like you always do, I put myself in the shoes of that time yeah. and kind of looked at it through this lens when we watched it. Yeah, yeah. that's just, It's impossible to do it fully, but, yeah, I always say, yeah. like, 
I would say like watch a movie looking backwards where you're only looking at everything before 1960. You're not mm-hmm. looking at anything after. It's impossible to be truly subjective like that because you're not going to forget that you've seen you right. know, Halloween and Friday the 13th and all that stuff or just anything horror. Mm-hmm. But if you can do your best like to really just pretend it's the year you're watching the movie, I think that helps a lot. Totally. And it's fantastic. So what about you, Andy? Uh, Is Alfred Hitchcock like second to Scorsese for you? Mm, no he's like he's almost like one of those like great authors where when i when i get into one of his projects i'm like really into it but i think there's just so much of a disconnect in the time period where i'm not always willing to like just throw one on you does that make that's a bad example but i'd probably put him in top five but there's a certain entertainment value that comes out of a little bit more modern sensibility of filmmaking mm-hmm. that just makes me gravitate more towards like if we're talking about rewatchability and things like that rewatching stuff from my other favorite filmmakers like scorsese and john carpenter and edgar wright like i feel like hitchcocks are like they're good to watch once every like three four years like you kind of <laughs> you want to like forget the experience a little bit and then just like live it again as opposed to like putting on your favorite scene like it's weird it's interesting older films just have a different sensibility i feel like like it's 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 more about like the whole picture so i love him but i don't like this is my first time watching psycho in like eight years like yeah. i haven't seen it in so long so yeah he's up there but i wouldn't put him as number two i see i see yeah. but i totally get what you're saying about it being like sort of a whole whole picture kind of thing like you can't you can obviously for and people do this all the time when analyzing his films pluck a scene or two but like it's the context and everything that yeah. goes along with it. I, I see what you're saying there. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This isn't really for you because I know you don't know who he is, but Billy Wilder is another incredibly famous filmmaker from that, from like the same period as Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And his movies are the same thing where I love them. It's just like, I got to I gotta put some space in between my viewings. I'm, right. not, I'm not like itching at the seams to throw Sunset Boulevard or... Uh, you know, some like it hot on, you know, immediately. So mm-hmm. it's 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 weird. It, it, it's not the most intelligent answer to your question, but it's it's how I feel about him. All right, all right. Um, but, yeah. I mean, he's groundbreaking, right? Like, oh, yeah. A right. lot of this stuff, like you said, we're seeing audiences we're seeing for the first time. Yeah. And we've had, like, we've had other um, incredibly f- famous and influential filmmakers, you know, before him and during his time. Like, I just mentioned Billy Wilder. But for some reason, like, he, his character became a thing. Uh, like, the way he looks, the way he talks, oh the way he, he... Like, everything about him became, like, a public thing. It wasn't just the movies he was making. It was <laughs> how he presented himself on TV, how he talked, how he introed his TV show every week. So you always saw him. And he was always a public, like, figure as opposed to other filmmakers who you just knew their names. Yeah. You knew John Ford from John Ford movies. I'm trying to think today, like... I'm not comparing these two in terms of the types of movies they make because it's not even close. But you have like a Kevin Smith and then you have like a Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Most people know who both those guys are, but one of those guys is always in your face. And you're, <laughs> you know what he looks like, you know what he sounds like, you know what his daughter's like, you know everything about him. Yeah. I, I could walk, into, walk down the street tomorrow, see Christopher Nolan, and I wouldn't spot him. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? I've right. seen pictures of him, but I wouldn't be like, oh, there's the guy. You know, so totally. Hitchcock, and again, this isn't about the types of movies they make because... 
I love Kevin Smith, but his filmography is <laughs> more more weight than it is good these days. Uh-huh. So I feel like that was Hitchcock back then. Like he was like like he sold himself, not just his movies. I've been telling you this all week, but I still can't believe like he looks like that. I like know. he just see. <laughs> He his just, silhouette is famous. Like you know, right. like, the show began with a picture of his silhouette, and he would walk into it. Like, right. It, it's just crazy because a lot of the times when you watch a movie, like the characters we know and love today, they're characters. They're people that's they're characters that someone concepted in their head and then like put on the screen. But Alfred Hitchcock was a person. Like it's just crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like a character. Yeah. I think in terms of. His peers and contemporaries at the time, he was probably the one whose name alone could sell almost anything. Mm-hmm. Again, there were other huge. He wasn't the only filmmaking star at the time, but his movies are a mix of like art house filmmaking, very good, truly understands how to tell a story, how to shoot everything, like like very well, fundamentally well crafted movies. But he also most of them have a really high commercial value as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so his movies were sellers. Like like you know they were. It wasn't crazy for him to make you know twenty times the amount of the budget back when he made a movie. So I think that's one of the reasons that separated him from his contemporaries at the time as well. Where you know some people make really good movies, but you know they don't make a lot of money. You know what I mean? Like right. Most of the movies that get nominated for Oscars usually aren't the big money makers. They're like you know they're just like you know you kind of. So what was your first interaction with Hitchcock or his films? Like Um oddly enough that 70s show. What? So <laughs> So there was an ep- I used to in the 90s I loved that 70s show. <laughs> I can't really stomach it anymore. It's pretty corny by my standards. Of- was it the 90s or early 2000s? Well, yeah, I guess it came out in 98. So it was probably more the early 2000s. Yeah. 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 During the run of that 70s show, I was between <laughs> the age of 8 and 14. And I loved it. Yeah. Loved it like a motherfucker. And there was one specific episode early on, I don't know, season two or three, I don't even, I have no idea what's, but early in the run, that was a Halloween episode, and the whole episode was just Hitchcock parodies. Oh. Uh, but I didn't know who he was at the time. You know what would be fun? Is if we were in an Alfred Hitchcock movie right now, and we didn't know it, and then someone told us, and we were like, oh man, I'm in a movie! I definitely, I knew the shower scene and I knew the music. I don't know how, just through pop culture, it just seeped into my brain. And that's actually what made me knew it was a Hitchcock parody because all the parodies I didn't understand in the episode. And then there's one scene where, you know, Kelso's taking a shower and then Lori, they just basically recreate the shower scene where she's hitting him with like a toilet brush, but they do it in the silhouette so it looks like he's getting stabbed. Uh And then like shampoo, red shampoo goes down the drain, blah, blah. So that I saw that, and then I was like, "That's from that movie Psycho." Maybe is this all Hitchcock? You know, whatever, blah blah. And then I just looked up. I started looking up those references, and then it was also around that same time where I keep mentioning around how like fourteen, fifteen is when I got really into movies. Mm-hmm. Like that was me at like my peak of nerdiness. Like I, it was the beginning of high school. I wasn't. I wasn't like going out. I was too young to be like doing anything. F- going out or so it's just like go to the library rent as many movies as for free as possible yeah. hold on you went to the library oh that every is week. so cute oh my library you could get you can get it used to, at first it was vhs's you can get seven vhs's a week for free wow and then eventually they added dvds so then it was three dvds on top of the seven vhs's so i would go home every week with 10 movies that is insane. never even watched all 10 of them i would just i would just grab them you know like i was just gobbling up whatever i could find that's crazy I see. Yeah, I remember just like walking out of my mom's car with my fucking hands. Like half my body was a stack of VHS. 
Um, I wish there were pictures. So yeah, I, uh, I, I, I can't say for sure, but I think that was my first introduction to Alfred Hitchcock was that that seventy show episode. That's funny. And then I just feel like as someone who loved horror movies and as someone who Halloween is their favorite horror movie of all time. I had to seek out, you know, I started reading, reading about the slasher genre and where that, and then, so it's always pointed back to Psycho. Mm. Um, and yes, for the super movie nerds out there, I'm aware that Peeping Tom came out the year before, and it was very similar in terms of what one guy stalking people and killing them. Hmm. It was a British movie, it didn't do big numbers out here in the US, and yes, it probably influenced Hitchcock, but in terms of influencing the people after Hitchcock... Psycho. I still consider Psycho the start of the slasher genre. Interesting. There's just always there's always a less popular thing where someone's like, actually, that came out first, and that you know. So, hmm. seen Peeping Tom. It's great. You should all see it. But I still think Psycho should be considered the grandfather or whatever you want, whatever term you want to use of the slasher genre. Interesting. Yeah, Peeping Tom is cool. He he films people. So actually, has a lot to do with Rear Window too, because he's always filming people with his camera. Uh-huh. But his tripod, uh, one of the front leg of his tripod is like a sharpened spike. So he kills you by filming you and then lifting up the tripod spike and stabbing you with it. But while recording your final moments of oh, death. Oh, God. Because he's obsessed with like what people are like right before they die. And that's Peeping Tom. That's creepy. Yeah, it's pretty good. Creepy Tom. Creepy Tom. <laughs> Creeping Tom. <laughs> Creeping Tom. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, and then I, I at some point just in my early teens, like 13, 14, I rented Psycho. Watched it alone in the basement as I would normally do. <laughs> And then, like I said, you know, I knew the shower scene. I probably ghosted it in a way as well, where I kind of thought the shower scene was going to be. Oh, I guess you didn't. That was <laughs> you didn't reveal. That's what your moment was. <laughs> I thought it was going to be bigger, um, or like just more of like a build up to it in terms of the story. Yes. Um. So I still there were some surprises in there for me, and then I just remember being like, "Fuck it." For all I know, outside of like Wizard of Oz. That might have been the oldest movie I had ever watched at the time. Uh-huh. Like at like 14, you know? Yeah. I wasn't seeking out, yeah, Star Wars and Jaws, but that was the 70s. So, yeah, outside of Wizard of Oz, I I didn't even watch It's a Wonderful Life as a kid. Oh, uh, actually, eh, I guess like Cinderella and, and those animated movies. The old All right, ones. it was one of the f- older movies I've ever seen. Gotcha. And also, I didn't yet understand the history of film yet. So I used to be very confused as a kid about why certain things were black and white and certain things weren't. Mm -hmm. Because I just thought it was a technology thing where once it switched, everyone switched and we never went back. Yep. Uh, Unless it was... No, I guess at that age, I didn't even see any modern movies that were in black and white. So I just always assumed that's when the technology came out. So I remember being baffled as to why Wizard of Oz was in color in 1935 or whatever year that was. Yeah. And this was black and white in 1960. Yeah. <laughs> but then I learned that it was a, you can make that choice stylistically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's nothing to do with, oh, it's all we got. <laughs> We're out of the color. So, uh, yeah, I checked it out then and then just immediately just started, I grabbed all his like immediate classics first, watched those. Then I dove into some of his, not lesser known stuff, but just not the big, big, big names. Like, you know, like the the ones I mentioned before, the biggest ones he's made. Vertigo, mm-hmm. Ruindo, Psycho, Birds. But then I started checking out some of his other ones, which actually became what I would consider my favorites. So Strangers on a Train and Rope, I think, are actually my two favorite Hitchcock movies. And Rope? Yeah, Rope is really good. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, well, this is going to be a long one already, so I'm not going to start. Uh, there's going to be a whole Love What I Love Hitchcock edition yeah, yeah, Hitchcock. podcast. <laughs> it would be the same podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then I tried going into his like silent era, and I just can't do it. Oh, I just, really? I just, I, you know how much I like movies. I yeah. can really appreciate so many different forms and eras of movie making. 
unless it's Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton, I cannot get my ass through a silent film. I just find them to be so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like stupid to say, and I'm really wiping out a lot of film history here by saying that, but if you're not going to be funny like those two guys, I just, uh... I just, I can't do it. Like, there's just so. It's just like a lullaby. It just puts me to bed. Interesting. It's just, it's I, like I feel a... like there could be a suspenseful, captivating uh, silent film. It would just need a lot of sound design. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no, there is sound. It's, there's yeah. music. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, but like dialogue. really engaging. Yeah. I mean, like Nosferatu is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, you know, the basis of Dracula and all that. I'm surprised because I feel like, ju- you know, just based on Psycho alone, he has a good sense of, I mean, I know he directed these, so I don't know how involved, how involved he was in post, but he, it seemed like he has a good sense of like sound design and the power of music. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure there's good ones out there. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say like all Hitchcock silent movies suck. I'm just saying I couldn't get into them. I see. I bought one of those DVD box sets. There's like 25 Hitchcock films, but it was everything from like 1920 to like 39. Yeah. So, and I watched, tried to watch a few of them. One of his movies, he ended up remaking The Man Who Knew Too Much. So I did watch the original and the remake, but the fucking remake is amazing. So mm. I couldn't. Uh... That title alone, I'm like, what does he know? <laughs> Too much. <laughs> so some more little uh, just like fun facts. Uh, like I said, this, this movie was based on a book uh, written by Robert Block in 1959. It's loosely based on the famous killer Ed Gein. Have you ever heard about this guy? No. So, is he on Mindhunter? Is he on Mindhunter? Not e- no, no. He was in. He was. This book was written in 59. Mindhunter takes place in the 70s. No. So if it was based on a killer. That had already killed by 1959. Oh, well, they could study him. They could <laughs> bring him true, up. That's true. He's not a serial killer. Um, I think he only killed, like, two people. Uh, uh-huh. So he's, like, a murderer. But he was... A, <laughs> he was um... It's weird to categorize them like that. It's true. Yep. Yeah, this guy, Ed Gein, was the basis of a lot of killers in a lot of movies. This movie, Sounds of the Lambs, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all based on him oh. in a loose way. Mm-hmm. Like, not, not his story, but just aspects of it. Unfortunately, a lot of it that has to do with this movie involves spoiling the shit out of this movie, so I'm going to come back to this at the end. But yeah, it was based roughly on him. The book was actually pretty popular, but like I said, this movie came out so fast after it that it didn't have time to become like a cultural <clears throat> phenomenon. Oh, I wonder if he was upset about that, or if it actually helped his sales afterwards. Eh, he's been, Probably did. He's been a little upset since since all this went down. Oh, really? <laughs> have you read the book? Yes. Oh. Yeah, I have it. I showed it to you the other day. Oh, I thought it was... You have so many making of books. Oh, no, no. That was that the I... actual one. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I didn't know if it was the real one. Yeah, it was It was a very successful book. And a lot of what made Hitchcock want to even adapt it was really how horrific it was. Because at that time, like, think about, like, mainstream society in the 50s. Like, I'm talking about, like, white picket fence house. Like, leave it to beaver type shit. Right. We didn't like... those kind of, Talking about things like that was very unseemly. You know, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't in our books and in our movies and in our TV. But even, uh, like, in terms of the news, when they reported on Ed Gein, they left most of it out. Mm-hmm. They would just talk, he was a grave robber, you know, he was a murderer. You know, they didn't say the, like, anything about, you know, sewing masks Details. together on his face and things like that. So the public actually, do, a lot of it was just, like, shielded from them in terms of how is how life, like, the scary parts of life. So. When he dove into this into the book, it was like very controversial because people were just like, 
oh, I've never read words like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Like, a lot of pearl clutching. Just, just a lot of rich ladies clutching their pearls. <laughs> I never. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to figure out timelines here. So the peeping window. What? Peeping Tom. Peeping Tom. <laughs> Rear window. <laughs> that movie came out before the book came out then. So it's not really Hitchcock that... Well, the book and the and Peeping Tom have almost nothing in common. I'm just saying Peeping Tom is about a guy who goes around and kills a bunch of people, mm-hmm. which is basically what a slasher movie is. Oh, okay. So I'm saying when people say hit, Psycho is the beginning of the slasher genre, there's always a smart ass who went to film school who went, actually, Peeping Tom. I see what you're... Um, okay, the slasher... Yeah, uh, we're, not, we're not talking about the Ed Gein or the story. It's got a it, completely it, different it. story. It's just about, you know, like, like Michael Myers and Jason Voorhees, like that kind of following one person or thing as it kills I see okay yeah the book was bought up pretty much immediately in kind of a not a dick move but uh one of the the beginning of Robert Block not really being excited about this whole process is the book was bought anonymously so he didn't know Hitchcock was the buyer and he bought it for nine thousand (gasps) dollars which doesn't sound like a lot but also at that time I I looked it up and I think it's it was around like $60,000 or something which you know it's a good amount of money if you wrote one book you know get right. 60 grand once he found out later that Alfred Hitchcock was the one who bought it he was like you motherfucker like you know I, yeah. I could have charged you so much more money I mean I hope he put in the contract that he like has a right to a certain percentage I, I don't know Jesus Christ I don't think so I think anonymously it, I think, that's shady Yeah 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 I mean, oh, it yeah. makes and sense. I will say too, with all this, I love Hitchcock as an artist. By all accounts, he seemed like an asshole. Like mm. he didn't—he didn't seem like a great guy by any means. You mm-hmm. know, like he was. Did he ever get married and have kids? Are there like little Hitchcock people? Uh, definitely. He was married for almost his entire life to his wife Alma, who was also like his partner. Mm-hmm. She was actually the one who brought this book to him, oh. um, and she had a lot to do with the making of this movie as well. Mm-hmm. And she was with him until he died. But, you know, he had a lot of reputation of being weird on set with his actresses. And there's a lot of that stuff. If he was alive today, he would have got me too, like a motherfucker. Not for, like, sexual assault, but just for being, like, a... Like, weirdo. Yeah, weirdo. And just fucking, you know, like, being a little too close to his... He loved his blonde female stars and all mm-hmm. that shit. A lot of bras were in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which uh, I have comments on. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, this is this podcast isn't about Hitchcock, but I'm just, I just want to put that out there that... Fully aware that he's kind of an asshole, right? Um, but but when you when you when you put someone up on a pedestal like this, you're like Hitchcock was the master. Like I think he was the master. Mm-hmm. Also, didn't seem that fun to have around. He also seemed like you know a bit demanding, a bit of a dickhead. Yeah. A bit, you know, we're we're kind of separating the art from the artist. Yeah, here. yeah big time, big time. So, but did he have kids? Yeah, he had a daughter, and uh, she was actually in this movie. She played um, Marion's like coworker friend. Oh, yeah. Wow. So that's, that was his daughter. Oh, cool. <laughs> but she was born in 1928, so it's not like she's like walking around now, yeah, yeah, nowadays. Yeah, but he has <laughs> descendants out there. That's crazy to be like, my great-grandfather yeah. was Like Hitchcock Alfred was Hitchcock. 60 when he made this movie, so like he wasn't a spring chicken by any means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a phrase. I know. I've never heard it, though. Really? Yeah. Spring chicken. <laughs> Remember uh, when... Sorry, this is this just reminded me of a random story, but... Early on when we were dating, we were about to see, we were like trying to figure out what to do or something. And we were, oh, we were trying to figure out what to eat. Uh-huh. And we were near Broadway. Oh, yeah. And then I was like, oh, Spring Awakening. And Andy goes, eh, I'm not really feeling Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I said, I'm not really feeling spring rolls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
to be fair, I don't know shit about Broadway, and we were looking for a place to eat, and then you picked up, you looked at a play that you wanted to see, and said, Ooh. Okay, first of all, it's a musical. Second of all, it's been around for so long. <laughs> That f- that weird phrase you just said reminded me of that story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some weird as dots. <laughs> Spring. Common thread. Okay, Andy, you did so much background research on this. Yeah. Like for this episode. I watched a hour and a half documentary on the making of it. I watched I listened to a six part podcast on the <laughs> making of it. Uh, I read a million articles and then also I just knew a lot of this shit too All already. Right. I mean, this is more research, I feel like, that you than you've done for any other. It is, but like I said, the making of this shit is just as interesting as the movie, so like, yeah. this is going to be a long one, folks. So brace yourselves. Yeah. So, essentially, once Hitchcock read this book, he knew immediately he wanted to make it. The first thing he did was he had his secretary and a bunch of people who worked for him go to every store that they could and buy every single copy of this novel. Because wow. he, he wanted to get it out of the hands of the American people as fast as possible. That's He did crazy. not want anyone to know the ending. He wanted it. He was, spoilers were his number one concern in this movie, more so than anything he's ever made in his life. <laughs> this movie was going to live or die on if whether or not people knew the ending before going in. Mm. The decision to make this movie also was pretty controversial for him at the time in his career. Nobody wanted him to make this movie. He was known, he just got off North by Northwest, which is this huge, giant, like, action movie starring Cary Grant, super sexy, globe-trotting, expensive, like, mm-hmm. it was just really, like, that was kind of the things he was doing these days, where movies that took place, where this guy's going all over the place, and real big budgets, real big set pieces, car chases, exciting stuff. Uh, North by Northwest, he always said, was supposed to be, like, his James Bond, you know, because he, he never got a chance to make James Bond, so he was like, yeah, I made my own James Bond. Oh. Basically, horror movies during this time were very, were looked at as less than B movies. They were cheap to make, they were schlocky, you know, they were a lot of a lot of gimmicks. William Castle was around at the time, and he would do a lot of gimmicks with like movie theaters. So, like, if there's House on Haunted Hill, there's a skeleton that comes on screen. So the movie theater would drop skeletons from the from the thing on strings <laughs> to scare the shit out of you, stuff wow. like that. It's like um, going to an amusement park. Yeah, yeah. So it was more about like get them all spooked, but you know, it wasn't about making a good film. So, like Hitchcock's literal words when talking to Alma about making this movie was, he was like, "What if?" And again, he's a little bit of an asshole. He knows how good he is, so he's like. What if someone as good as me made one of these bad movies? L-O-L. He wasn't wrong. So everyone just thought this would be beneath him. I think because of this movie and also because of Birds, which came out right after, he has a reputation with people who don't watch his movies as like the horror guy. Like, I feel like even you were like, uh-oh, we're about to get super scared. Yeah. He's doesn't make that many horror movies. <laughs> he's known as the master of suspense because he's really good at putting a mystery afoot. Yes. And there is usually, like, murder and death in his movies, which make it a little sensational. But, and like, this is one of the only true blue, like, horror he, movies he's ever made. Yeah, I mean, I would actually... I actually did rem- think of him as, like, a suspenseful guy yeah. more than, like, slashery. So, so it's easy to think today be like, yeah, Psycho's the exact movie Hitchcock would make. Like, mm-hmm. he makes scary movies about people killing each other. And it's like, yeah, but not like this, you know? Mm-hmm. So none of the studios wanted to make it. Nobody, everyone thought it would be just, he was just 
going crazy in his older age. Like, you know, they were just like, dude, you're rich. Like, what are you doing? So he eventually had to work out a deal. So this is technically a Paramount movie. The only way he got the studio to agree to do it was basically he financed the entire movie himself. So he upfronted the the budget for the movie. He took no fee for directing it, so he directed it without any compensation at all. Passion project. Yeah. He told them he would shoot it entirely with the crew that he uses for his TV show. So to keep costs low, because TV crews cost less than film crews back then. Mm. The black and white was mainly to keep costs down. And uh, he said that they would shoot it at on Universal's lot and use their sets, because that's where they did the show. And then that's why Universal's name is in the front of the movie, even though it's not a Universal movie. Right. It's weird. I don't really know how a lot of these rights work. Like, it's a Paramount movie, but you know, they shot it at Universal, so they somehow shared the rights. But Paramount owns it and, like, I'm surprised it was cheaper for them to film on their lot. <laughs> I think it's just because he was there every week doing his TV show. So I think they were just like, fuck yeah. it, let's just go use it. Sounds like a favor to were co- was called in. Oh, I would imagine. <laughs> the studio also... They didn't put no money in the movie. Like, they paid for the distribution and the release and all that stuff. So it did cost them a pretty penny. So the deal he worked out was, you know, he would do all that stuff for free, basically put his own money up. Once they made their money back, like, from the sales of the movie, like, once it comes out in the ticket sales, then all the rights would revert to Alfred Hitchcock, and then he would own 100% of this entire movie. Whoa. So this movie is what made him rich. Like, he was already, like, rich, but this movie, like, he didn't have to work for the rest of his life if he didn't want to. So... The studios got, like, flat. They, like, spent money and got them back. They didn't make anything. Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, there's always the I'm sure word there of has mouth to be, like, stuff. some way yeah, they yeah. made some money. Yeah, and again, like, this, this is the part of the business that's a little more confusing, you know? It's uh-huh. like, who, what contracts are what and this and that, so. Yeah, sorry yeah. <laughs> to get so into so I don't know too much. But basically, he just had to... For someone his of his caliber, that's crazy of all those like things he had to do just to uh, let them be like, all right, fine, you can make this movie. Yeah, they probably didn't think they. It sounds like they didn't they have thought, any faith. They in thought it. he was sabotaging his career. They were yeah. like, oh, Hitchcock's done. Like he's he's, yeah. he's getting older. <laughs> sure, you'll own a hundred percent after we make our money back because yeah, yeah, that's yeah. gonna happen. Yeah, basically, they they were off to the races after that. He hired this guy Joseph Stefano to to write the movie for him because he's not a writer. Hitchcock's never written right. his own scripts. And then uh, they were just off to the races. The writing was pretty good. Did he go on to do more stuff? No, but oddly enough, he did write Psycho 4. Oh. So I guess they brought him back, which is crazy because that one was not good. There are four of them? How many are there? Four, and then the remake, and then a failed Bates Motel pilot from the 80s, and then the Bates Motel show from the 2010s. Dang. And he watched all of them for this podcast. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I I did watch all of them, but not (laughs) Pre-podcast. All right. So we've... A lot of time has passed. We have not talked about the movie at all. So let's jump into it. Uh, Oh, I just want to also just throw out there real at the end. This had four Oscar nominations. Best Director, Best Supporting Actress for Janet Leigh, Best Art Direction, and Best Cinematography. Didn't win any of them, but nominated four times. Whoa. What did it lose against? Uh, it won Best Director to Billy Wilder, actually, the guy I was talking about before. Oh, wow. And it actually, like, crushed Hitchcock because he's never won an Oscar before. Aww. And he kind of, like, at this age, he kind of felt like that was, like, the last thing he wanted to accomplish in his career. And he knew, like, when he got nominated for this, like, he's like, this is the last time it's going to happen. If I don't get it now, I'm not going to get it. And he didn't get the it. The Academy. Yeah, they gave him a lifetime achievement when he was, like, 80, right before he died. He died, like, a week later. But, like, all reports said he didn't really give a shit. 
Mm-hmm. Like, he knew, like, they were just doing it because he was going to die. <laughs> he, he, yeah. was just, he was just old and sick and unhealthy, so they were just like, all right, we'll give him one. That's crazy. So he kind of felt it more of a pity move. So you want to stop fun jumping in? Because I have no idea what you think of this movie, so I got to <laughs> know. So we open up on the big city, the big grand city. And had me scared at the top. Uh, <laughs> why, because the music? Yeah, the yeah. music and the graphics. <sighs> yeah. So powerful. Graphics are great. Oh, Bernard Herrmann went did this music. He is one of the greats. Oh, uh, Bernard. Yeah. Like, he did everything from Citizen Kane up to fucking Taxi Driver. Like Oh, was, wow. He was around forever and he's done he's got to be one of the most famous like up there with uh john john williams and uh like danny elfman and shit the bernard herman score is so goddamn good all right since you brought it up i gotta bring that up now <laughs> that's how far we got <laughs> opening shot and now we're taking <laughs> so for the music on this which i thought was really cool hitchcock wanted almost no music at all he thought the movie in the be- when he first like was was conceiving it he thought it would be when he was shooting it, he thought it would be a lot scarier, like, in silence for most of it. Yep. Because he, in his eyes, he was making a stripped-down version of a movie. Because, like I said, he always makes these big movies. So, he's making something no budget, no color, very few actors, very few sets. Like, he was, like, he was going back to the basics of filmmaking. So, he's like, why don't we not do sound? Like, why don't we just go, like, truly old wow. school? Audio, yes. I mean, dialogue, yes. But just, like, not a lot of music. Bernard Herrmann, being the master that he is, was like, cool. But let me counter with this. What if we do include music, but we get rid of every single type of instrument except for strings? So the entire score for this movie, every scene is only string instruments. And I don't know about you, but like it's jarring as fuck. Yes. But like in a good way. Yes. Like it makes you uneasy. Absolutely. Because you don't normally only hear like, like just that. You know, there's usually something else in there. Yeah. It's common sense now you use impactful music when, like, something intense is going on on screen. Yeah. But, like, every time the music came on, it just triggered that, like, anxiety for me. And it it kind of reminded me of, like, playing Zelda now. You know, like, every time a monster is approaching, that music comes on. Yeah. I'm like, no, what's going to happen? <laughs> what direction? <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> I think that was the exact intended, uh, like the in- intention of it of, of it all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Bernard Herrmann made the right call. And after Hitchcock finished the movie and put the music in, he literally was like, I was wrong. And Bernard Herrmann's music is 33% of the reason why this movie works. He's <laughs> like, gave him 33%. Yeah, hey, it's pretty good. <laughs> you're, you're putting that against lighting, I'm, acting, yeah, yeah, yeah. camera work, like sets. No, I'm just saying, like, that Alfred Hitchcock gave him. Yeah, yeah, 30%. that's what I'm saying. Like, he, he admitted right away, he's like, I was so wrong. Like, this, nice. this movie would not have worked without your music. Cool. So we're opening up, we're getting those sweet title cards, scary music, and we punch it on the city, uh, and then we push it on that apartment where we meet Marion Crane, played by the great Janet Lee. And Sam Loomis, played by someone else. I <laughs> <laughs> don't remember who that is. <laughs> wow. That guy was very classically handsome. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was. For sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I was just like, wow. And I always get confused. Did we establish, like, as a society, if people actually talked like this back then? Or if it's just in the movies? That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck if I know. I've only ever seen movies. I don't think people truly talked like that. I think that was, like... Well, well, if we're not going to get married, then I'll have to go. And then if I have to go, I can't even do the yeah. accent. Like, Well, we did have a great, I do declare. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. I love. <laughs> but that was good because it set up a really hilarious joke, which I never caught until this time. 
Oh, what joke? She was talking to that sleazy rich guy with the money, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, and then she's like, I do declare. And he's like, and I don't. And that's why I have so much money, which means he doesn't pay taxes. Yeah. Because he doesn't declare his income. Uh, <laughs> I was like, ah. Nice. <laughs> nice. It immediately made me think of House of Cards. Claire. Yeah. I do declare. <laughs> which could, you could probably cut that out and put that clip in. Probably. <laughs> Also, I'm not sure he ever says I do declare. I think that's what we say when we're when we're imitating Kevin Spacey on that show. Like I don't know if he's ever actually said that. Sorry, before you move forward, oh, I'm sorry to keep I wasn't gonna move forward. Oh. I got I got I'm gonna be trudging a step at a time. I know this has nothing to do with the movie, but oh, can man. we talk about We have a lot to talk about the movie? <laughs> go on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has to do with the movie, just not the plot. Okay. Can we talk about the bra? Her yes. bra at the top? Oh, let's talk about the bra. I got notes that on the bra. That is the craziest bra I've ever seen. The clips? Why is it? Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't have those kind of notes. <laughs> I've never seen a clip like that before. seen this movie so many times. Don't even know what the clip looks like. <laughs> I've never even paid attention to it. But also, like, the shape. Usually I guess when, that was classic back when, then. When, anyway. when guys are seeing good-looking women in their bras, they're not normally checking out the <laughs> clamp situation. That's my comment. Yeah, that's, that's great. I've never... See, that's why we do the podcast, because I've never had that perspective on the clamp. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that se- the sexiness of that scene was a goddamn dumpster fire for, for the production code people. Really? They were they did not like this. So this movie was a constant battle with the production code. Just uh, at the very top of the movie. Yeah, to just start it off. Within the fair. You, I can't, I've never seen a movie before this where I've seen a woman in a bra. Like, in terms of being released before 1960. Yeah. So that alone was crazy that he was doing that. Super scandalous. The fact that it opened up right after they finished having sex, like, that that was insane. Mm-hmm. This is the era of filmmaking where if you showed a couple's bedroom, you had to show two beds. Yeah. You couldn't even show one bed because that implied that they slept in the same bed, which implied that they had sex. <sighs> so let alone showing after sex. Like, right. that's crazy that that's in this movie. So, yeah, there's a lot of firsts of this movie in terms of ratings and things like that. Which, speaking of ratings, yeah. I love that the rating for this movie didn't come up until the very end of the movie. Oh, the reason that is, is because there was no MPAA when this movie came out, so that, that R rating came out later. I like, that see. Was, that okay. was thrown on for today, for if you're a mom looking at this movie. There was no <laughs> at rating. At the very end. Yeah. Until the rating system came out, uh, everything operated under the production code, which was just basically, there was a list of rules. Like, Hollywood policed itself. Basically, where they were like, if we make these rules and follow them, then we don't have to have an outside organization like the government coming in to tell us what can and can't be in movies. So it used to be called the Hayes Code back in the day. The name changed at some point. But there was so many things, you know, if somebody does something evil or bad, they can't get away with it. They either have to get killed or go to jail right. or be punished. Yeah. Just so many. There were so many rules. I, I used to... Oh, I used to, I read my Reddit in college. It was goddamn giant. Yeah. So I remember he was, taking those notes. Yeah. So Hitchcock was in a constant fight with the production code on this. And they, this was one of their biggest problems was like the sexiness of this opening scene. Hmm. It's too sexy, goddammit. Yeah, yeah. You know who Janet Lee is? I don't. She has a daughter, a famous daughter that she had with a gentleman named Tony Curtis. <gasps> this is Jamie Lee Curtis's mom. Yep. <laughs> Whoa! Oh yeah, crazy. Which was Scream make, queen. Yeah, which kind of makes her turn as like a big horror actress even cooler because her mom did is it she her. is Jamie Lee Curtis in any of the Psycho movies? No, but Janet Lee is in Halloween H two O, 
and it was actually it's a it's a cool scene where her and Jamie Lee Curtis have an interaction, and then she goes to leave, and she gets in the car, and it's the same car from this movie, and then she drives away, and then the psycho theme plays. Wow, <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> it's pretty considering cool. how bad you told me that movie is. It's all right. No, oh, all right. That one's fun. You still love it. I like that one. <laughs> it's not good, but it's like good. All right. It's the first time Jamie Lee Curtis came back. Oh, oh, oh! Damn it! Oh, oh, Miss Tate, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't mean to make you jump. It's okay. Well, hey, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. I've had my share. That's cool. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's Jamie Lee Curtis's mom. And then the other fun uh, connection when they made Halloween because. Obviously, that's Jamie Lee Curtis. Do you remember the doctor in Halloween, the the one who like Mike, Michael Myers, psychi- psychiatrist, the one who runs around and chases him the whole movie? Yes. They named him Sam Loomis, which is the same name as the guy in this movie, the uh, boyfriend. So the name Sam Loomis, kind of. That's fun. And then in Scream, the guy's name is Billy Loomis. So all connected. That's hilarious. It's pointless, useless, useless information. Your, your little horror, horror thing. Useless information. <laughs> We kind of learn a little bit about them. They're, they're two people in love. They want to get married. But Sam does not want to get married yet because he feels like he hasn't made enough money or accomplished himself as like a man, you know, like in the old days. I thought he was BSing, uh, to be honest. Oh, you think so? <laughs> uh, not, maybe. Who knows? We well, never... okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah you, that's a good thing. It might have been. I'm saying what they present us with. Yeah. You know. Con- considering he lives in a completely different state, like he could be telling her anything. Yeah, you know? that is true. Yeah, he probably had a whole other family over there. <laughs> <laughs> Back in those days, you just have to leave state lines and you could have a whole new life. Exactly. Fucking <laughs> <You know? laughs> crazy. So I put my myself in the times, yeah. and that was what I concluded. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, basically what kicks us all off is she's given what was it forty grand cash? Yes. Which is fuck ton of money back then. I know. Um, <laughs> and she's told to go, you know, deposit it for this client. And then just on like a whim, basically, she just decides to steal it. Mm-hmm. Or I guess she just keeps driving. Like that's, I guess, what she... Yeah. Rather than stopping by the bank, doing what she's supposed to do. It came off to me that she was like, you know what? Like my boyfriend's talking about like not having enough money. Like this could be the start of our life. Yep. Exactly. So. And did you notice, um. Right when she decides to uh, steal the money. Because she says, I'm going to the bank, and then I'm going to go home. Yes. But we just see her go straight home. Yes. And now she's wearing uh, a black bra. Where, Mm. because she was wearing a white bra in the beginning to symbolize, like, angelic, whatever, blah, 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 purity, niceness. And then the minute she makes the turn to do something bad and break the law. I didn't notice that, but cool. I didn't either, but I read that eventually. (laughs) Yes. So uh, what were you thinking when when this plot kind of kicked in? Um, (laughs) As knowing like nothing about the movie, just knowing it's about someone getting killed in the shower. Oh, I thought she was the psycho (laughs) for stealing all that money. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) She did it at one point. Like eventually it starts to, the guilt kind of like racks on her. But at one point she's in the car and she's got that like creepy smile on. Yeah. She was like, I did something bad. That was mad creepy. That was a good smile. Ugh. I didn't like it. I'm just saying in terms of like the movie playing out, what was your thoughts? Because I'm sure you didn't think there was a money embezzlement subplot. Oh, in no. Psycho. I had no idea about that part. Yeah. Um, I was kind of just sitting and waiting to see where this would all come to. Because yeah. at that point, we're only introduced to like two characters, three. Yeah, a, c- a couple of side people. But for the most part, it's her, Sam, and then like her boss. Yeah. So I had no idea like where the murder part of this was coming going to come from. Yeah. 
Sorry, before you move forward, though, can we talk about really briefly uh, Alfred Hitchcock's cameo oh, in yeah, this movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost missed that. <laughs> yeah. So did Stanley steal this from Alfred then? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was his thing. He made a cameo. I don't I don't think it was every movie he made, but I would say like 85% of them. Oh. He, it became known as a thing where like you waited to, to when you watched the movie to do to see the Hitchcock cameo. Yeah. Which was why actually he put it at the very beginning of this movie because he was like, I don't want these motherfuckers spending the whole movie looking for me. Uh, I want to get it out of the way and just let them watch this movie. That's like, funny. He was so focused on how people watch this movie where he was like, you have to pay attention. I don't want anyone like, you know, coming in late, this and that. So some of the fun stuff that he did, like in order to keep the kind of the mystery flowing, before 1960, the movie theater was kind of treated as more it wasn't really like it is today where you're like, my movie's at 2 o'clock and you get there for your 2 o'clock showing. Mm-hmm. It was just a place you went, stayed for a while, and then left. Like, it cost almost no money, so it was very it was very common for people just to buy a ticket, sit down, just walk in at any point in a movie, watch it for as oh, long as I they see. want. Maybe if it ends, then they stay, catch the beginning of the next one, see if they're interested, either leave, stay. Air conditioning was invented for movie theaters, and... I'm very certain a lot of people just used it because it was hot and they didn't have air conditioners in their house, so they would just hang out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why, because they used to show you news clips and cartoons and short films in between showing, so you just showed up. Yeah. This was the first time where Hitchcock actually made, not made, but like, he proposed that the theaters were incredibly strict about showtimes. The second a show started, the doors were closed and you could not go in wow you could go out obviously fire hazard but (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah if you were late you couldn't you weren't allowed to walk in halfway through you couldn't show up late during the entire filming of this movie it was a completely closed set he wouldn't allow any visitors to to ever come on set like nobody could bring their family for a fun day or anything like that wow he only ever let the writer discuss details with him like he was like don't even talk to your wife about this movie like like me and you talk about this movie and that is it he didn't let the cast and crew do any interviews or any promotion he's like i'm doing all the promotion for this myself i don't want anyone to say the wrong thing like this is strictly <laughs> gonna be me he made a very unique trailer that it, like one that was different from any trailer that was ever made before oh i want to see it that's yeah, pretty cool it's uh it's him himself walking through the house and then kind of like like telling you about the movie but without spoiling anything so you just be like this is where she took the shower and it's too much to discuss, you know. And like he would just, like leave the room, like he was just kind of like getting you being like, "Wait, what the fuck's going on?" You know, like <laughs> a quiet little motel, tucked away off the main highway, and as you see, perfectly harmless looking. When in fact, it has now become known as the scene of the crime. So all those things, uh, including the getting the cameo done in the beginning were just done to get people to be entirely focused on the plot and not to have it ruined by anything. You know, he bought the books, like I said, all that shit. Um, so yeah, he was, this was like one of the first times that I could ever learned about where the filmmakers were concerned with spoilers, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. Cause that's all we do now is try to hide spoilers from crazy fans. Mm-hmm. That kind of changed the way we watch movies. Like it kind of made, it made showtimes important, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, But like we said, she's at this point, uh, driven away with the forty forty thousand dollars in cash, which again another anxiety trigger. Like, oh, you know, and just thinking of you know 
put, putting your purse down, then the money's missing, and just... That and just, like, how little... She's not a criminal mastermind. She didn't right. think this through, so... Even though we're not hearing the exact conversations, she starts playing in her head as she's driving different conversations of, like, like her boss being like, girl works for you to 10 years, you'd learn to trust her, you know, stuff like that, where yes. she's like, oh, fuck, like, did I just, like, ruin my entire life by doing this, you know yeah. what I mean? I thought the uh, voiceover head thinking was very awesome. Yeah, it was cool. And then, um, yeah, she basically drives through the night, she has a, a close call with a cop, she ends up trading her car for a different car. Mm-hmm. Just to kind of like, you know, keep it, keep it more of a mystery. I thought that cop was going to have much more significance in this movie than he actually did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's kind of two big spoilers for this movie, and one's coming up soon. So that's not gonna. I don't kind of gonna consider that part of the spoiler section. But I have more things to say once we get to that. Okay. Yeah. So then Marion, you know, she's driving all night, rainstorm, all this crazy shit. She almost she couldn't see an inch ahead of her, and then that's when she pulls up to the infamous Bates Motel. Yes. Where at the time, if you're watching the movie, it doesn't mean anything, but by today is very famous <laughs> right know? and then that's when she goes in and she meets the proprietor norman bates played by anthony perkins masterfully mr bates uh, yep i i feel like there was never a point in this movie where he introduced himself like his full name it just seemed like everyone assumed his name was bates <laughs> but maybe that was just me <laughs> i mean yeah i mean there was the giant signs at bates motel so it's... i know but like you can't assume like i'm not gonna walk into a uh, holiday inn and be like mr inn you know like i don't know yeah, but in That's the world. That's a bad word, example. In the, you're not calling him Mr. Motel. <laughs> you're calling him Mr. Bates. <laughs> never mind, never mind. I know what you mean, but yeah. It was a book. Okay, Fucking okay, said his okay. name in the book. Whatever, whatever. You know, she gets, a, she gets herself a room. And he invites her to eat some sandwiches and milk. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I was so in the movie until that point. He was like, I've got some sandwiches and milk. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> What kind of combo for dinner? So, yes, it's fucking crazy, but we soon learn he goes up to his house, and then we hear him and his mother getting into a fight, and then their subsequent conversation, you learn very quickly that this dude is very into his mother. He says things like a boy's mother is a boy's best friend is his mother. Mm-hmm. He always talks about my mother this, my mother that. You know, he's a full-grown adult still living with his mom. So, to me... The sandwiches and milk were just his delayed adolescence. It was mm. that's because that's something a kid would eat. A kid would eat a peanut butter sandwich with like a glass of milk for dinner if they were left to their own devices. Yeah. So I think it's actually like it works perfectly. It throws you off at first because you're like, "What the fuck?" But then you, <laughs> when you once you learn that he's not all there as an adult, you know, he's still very much treated like a child by his mother and all this other stuff. Right. It, at that point in the movie, you're just like, "Oh shit, this guy's like a kid." What's even funnier is in Psycho Two. It's 23 years later, so he's, like, 50 years old now. Motherfucker's still eating sandwiches and milk for dinner. Like, I was watching Psycho 2, and I was like, God damn it, the sandwiches and milk. I was like... Wow. He's like, same thing, he meets a girl, and he's like, I got a couple, just, like, half of my sandwich and a glass of milk. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny, because, like, they're fine separately, like, sandwiches. Sure. Milk. All right. Sandwiches and milk. And also, you know, this was, like, the era of nutrition where people thought... Drinking milk was like eating your vegetables. Like they thought you were getting like a day's worth of vitamins. Yeah. (laughs) I personally wasn't weirded out by him at the top. You know, before we learn all of this adolescent stuff like about him and his relationship with his mother, I kind of felt like naive like her in that sense. Yeah. Where I thought the motel itself as a character creeped me out, but he seemed... and. This obviously plays a part in the rest of the movie. He seemed like a trustworthy kind of person. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, I think they play it really well. I love the design of the motel because the motel part of it is just very standard, probably modern for the time. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a modern-looking hotel, just a row of rooms, you know, an office in the front. But then right to the left of it is, like, this gothic haunted house, you know? Yeah. Like, like, that house looked like it came out of fucking Dr- Dracula's castle or some shit. Yeah. If anything creeped me out, it was his hobby of stuffing birds. Yeah, yeah, his taxidermy hobby. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I guess. I don't know. But I thought it did a really great job of, and I'm talking, I'm referring to their conversation in that weird room. Yeah. Where it made her seem like a bad person. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, like she was just like, like she was trying to like treating him like he was a weirdo for doing it. And he was just like, it's not the most common hobby, but people do it. Like, you know, like. And I'm not even, I don't blame her because I did a shoot once where we were filming inside the taxidermist's apartment for something. I don't remember for what. And we were going through and shooting all of her, her stuff. And she was talking about taxidermy. And, like, her house was just littered with dead things. Like, you know what I mean? There was just taxidermied shit everywhere. Wow. And I was just like, yeah, I think you have to be, not not a weird person, but you have to be a specific kind of personality to be doing this. Yeah, you know what I mean? I'm... Like, you're not, it's not the most common thing to to, to oh. be that. To both, like, respect dead things, but also be so detached that you could, like, pull out guts, rip off skin, sew it back on, like, all that kind of stuff. I was petrified when I learned that that was a a real thing. Like, I saw, you know... when you were younger? Yeah, uh, like, I saw, I was like, oh, like, stuffed, you know, like, they made that up and... Like a stuffed animal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But when I learned that they were, like, living at one point... And, mm. like, you do... I would be, like, your old pet. Like, it's so creepy. No like, I would not want a petrified... Like, my cat... Like, I don't want a petrified version of him <laughs> always staring at me. Yeah, no way. But, yeah, like, I think it was a really cool point that, like, you it's almost making her seem like a judgmental asshole and he's just, like, this kindly, like, small-town guy. Yeah. Maybe this is, like, a weird thing, but, like, when his mom was yelling at him, I don't recall, like, the specific words she said, but it seemed like... I don't know how she got this vibe without meeting her, but, like... The mom w- wasn't trusting of this woman yeah. that walked into their motel. So, like, kind of warning him to not be open, not open up to her because he might, she might corrupt him in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you definitely get the sense, and the series goes into this much more with all the other installments and, and inspirations, but that the mom doesn't let him go anywhere around women ever. Mm. Be, like, for a lot of reasons, but, you know, it could boil down to religious things. It could boil down to... If he gets married, he'll leave me, you know, things like that. And, yeah. You know, it's, you know, I just think I don't have to tell you about a single parent and a one child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it can get complicated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then they have this great conversation, which I'll have more to say about it as we go into the spoilers. But um, it's really hard to talk about a lot of this without... We you. should just jump right into it at Let's this Let's just point. go to this next scene and then we'll jump into the spoilers. All right, sounds good. So the next scene is the most infamous scene of them all. It's when Marion goes into her room to go take a shower and then... We see Norman. Without flip-flops. That's the biggest. <laughs> that's an, <yeah>. Psycho! <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's the psycho. <laughs> we see Norman has a hole in the wall behind the painting. And then mm. he kind of spies on her a little bit while she's, you know, getting undressed. Yeah. And then immediately runs up to the house. That's when we get the classic, you know. This this moment, I don't know how anybody who watches movies has never seen at least part of this. Mm-hmm. Where we see, you know, Marion get into the bathroom, turn on the shower... We got a lot of cool cat. Like they get that. Like there's that one shot of the camera directly underneath the 
the water flow. Yeah. Which, like, a lot of these things were just really hard to accomplish back then. You know, they had to, like, build this piece of plexi and then hold the camera underneath so the water would go over it, but look like it was hitting it. Yeah. Like, all this crazy. That's crazy. Craziness. Um, that water pressure looked amazing. And though. then, you know, as she's taking this nice, relaxing shower, we see the shadowy figure come in. Screen gets pulled open. We Ugh. hear Bernard Herman's amazing strings. stabbing to death so to unpack this scene there's so much to say about it but a it's one of the most violent things that have ever like been shown in a movie up to this point in america mm. um we've had violence but a lot of it's been more implied or you see the aftermath and this and that like this was insane to be showing this level of brutality mm-hmm. even though there's not a single shot where like a knife pierces skin or anything like yeah. that you see the knife about to and then it cuts to uh, something yeah 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 they shot this shit over, um, it took seven days to shoot this scene. Damn, they, one scene. They had over 70 camera setups, oh and by God. the time they edited it, it was over 50 cuts. So think about that, the old school way of editing. And they wanted to make it as jarring as possible, but while at the same time keeping the stabber in shadow, not showing any actual stabbing, not showing a lot of blood, not showing any nudity. So it was like, it was like this weird dance of like... Mm trying to get this done you know all this stuff yeah it sounds like a nightmare yeah <laughs> the production people production code people were upset about this you know? <laughs> uh the story behind it is actually kind of like infamous which is pretty hilarious where there was a the group of the production people they were split right down the middle where half of them were sure that they saw some nudity in that scene and half were saying for sure they didn't and then so they were like since we can't agree they just sent it back to Hitchcock with a note saying, please remove the nudity. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock didn't do a goddamn thing. Like, he knew there was no nudity. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's, he, like, this whole movie was storyboarded so perfectly where like he knew everything that was going to be on the screen. There was no accidental mistakes and shit like that. <laughs> they couldn't replay the movie to <laughs> figure they just, it They out. couldn't see it. <laughs> That's uh, funny. So he didn't do anything. Sent it right back with a note saying, here you go. Uh-huh. They watched it again, and then now... The legend has it that everybody switched thoughts. So now wow. everyone who thought they saw nudity was now like, oh, it's gone. But the people who thought they didn't were like, now I see nudity. So it went back and forth again. He also didn't do anything. It kept went back, I think, three times. And then and then Hitchcock knew they had a huge problem with that opening scene of how sexy it was. Uh-huh. So then he told them, listen, if you can just let me leave it the way it is right now, I'll go and reshoot the opening scene so it's to your liking. And they were like, cool. And he's like, but you guys have to come on set so that way I know what you want. Like, I can't, Ooh, I can't read your I mind. I like it. I can't read your mind. You come and you tell me what's good and what's not, and we'll do it. Gets on set. He gets everybody there, the crew, the cast, fucking everyone. They're waiting, waiting. Production people never showed up. <gasps> they just never showed up. After, like, five hours, he called it. He's like, all right, fuck it. We're done. And he never reshot that scene. And so <laughs> they just, they didn't cut down the shower scene, and they didn't make Why it. Why didn't they show up? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty hilarious. Five um, hours also. That's crazy. Even So even just the sound of stabbing, like that, it was his own process where he got production to get all these different kinds of melons and they would take their stabbing kitchen knives into each of them to <laughs> try to figure out what sounded like flesh being stabbed. Like, you don't know, you know? How was your day, hun? <laughs> <laughs> um, not that it matters, but they ended up on a cassava melon. That was it. So that was the perfect melon for the what sound What kind of, of melon is that? It's like a honeydew. Speaking of melons, there's a cassava with my name on it. And then the other reason this scene was fucking crazy is because 
Janet Lee was the biggest star in this movie. She was huge. So he purposely cast her in that because he didn't he knew nobody in their right mind would think she was gonna die. Uh-huh. Or at least if she was gonna die, it would be at the end of the movie. So <laughs> voila. Yeah. So <laughs> nobody in their right mind saw this coming. Yeah. Saw that murder coming. And it's also why the movie is so front loaded with her plot. Yep. It's you know, the term is a MacGuffin, it's where you have something in a movie that you have the audience focusing on but it's not actually important you know so if they're like we have to go find this thing and the whole movie is them looking for this thing yeah the real movie is about how they grow during the search of a thing so the thing doesn't matter so her stealing this forty thousand dollars was actually played up to be like it was the most important thing like it was the movie we're watching a movie about a girl who steals forty thousand dollars yep and then it means nothing (laughs) it's just a means to get us to this motel and then we're watching norman's story from then on in which is crazy which is yeah it's radical as fuck like it took like 30 minutes to get to that point so it's almost just him being like entrapping you and also what's cool is that first 30 minutes is way more in my opinion a traditional hitchcock plot line Mm. he loved getting people in over their heads he loved watching good people go bad he loved a good cop mystery and all that shit so um he was kind of giving people what they thought they were going to get like a classic hitchcock movie about an embezzler and then just switched it on you showed you the most violent thing you've ever seen in the history of cinema michael bay should uh do one of those for what like for an action film you know just like think that it's going one place and then give us something that we haven't seen him do before yeah yeah that'd be pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) sorry i didn't mean to like point out michael bay specifically i just mean like i like that idea of a filmmaker you know making something that we wouldn't expect them to do Uh it's pretty cool yeah 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 so it just it caught everyone so off guard fucking no one saw it coming and then it just made everyone be like what the fuck happens now in the movie? You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing... Which is exactly how I felt. Yeah, and the beauty of it was, before she kills herself too, she decides that she wants to go back home and turn herself in and give the money back. She even does some math because she spends money on a new car. So she's like, okay, I have to get back $700. This and that. (laughs) When cars cost $700. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) I mean, I know she put her car in the mix. Yeah, it was a trade-in too. Whatever. So we effectively were at the end of like her story arc. You know, like she went through this whole thing and then decided not to break the law. Did, Did she, the actress, have any issues with shooting this scene? For some reason, I remember there being some like complications with her specifically Mm, no um she's actually in that documentary i watched a lot and um she went on and on about how everybody was so great like during it um there were there's a lot because because hitchcock has the reputation of kind of being an asshole sometimes stories get blurred blown up from urban legends that aren't actually true so one of the stories of they tell is in order to get her to scream as good as she did is that they turn the shower on with ice cold water after it was hot yes not true like she said for she was like a hundred percent that's not true she's like they were the reason it took seven days to shoot is because they were so good about when the hot water tank ran out to turn everything off and then just let me dry and then wait till it gets hot again so that way i wouldn't have to do it in uncomfortable waters you know what i mean and all this other stuff like you know they they used plenty of moleskin to cover up her nude parts so like on set she wouldn't have to be fully naked mm-hmm. they used the body double for spur the parts where you know she has to get like dragged out and shit so she wouldn't have to do that so she was like i don't know where all these stories came from but <laughs> it was a pleasure like <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> whatever she, tmz was yeah, back then <laughs> she even accepted this role for 
$25,000, which is only a quarter of her actual price at that time. Oh, wow. Like, she was, like, a $100,000 movie actress, but just based on Hitchcock's reputation alone. And not even in the script. She just read the book and knew Hitchcock was making it. She's like, yeah, I'll do it for whatever. Wow. Like, I just want to be in this. Yeah, I think she, she, she had a good time. Yes. <laughs> the influence of the scene also went on to the opening of Scream with the casting of Drew Barrymore. Because oh. she was the most famous actress out of everybody in Scream. And then they did that because they thought we wouldn't think she would die in the first scene. Ah, uh, um, I, I like that, it. I thought that was pretty cool. So that's probably the most famous scene. Do you have any, any thoughts on the shower scene? I know you said you've seen it, but like now that you're watching it in context. like, And also, like you might, by today's standards, there might be something you don't think works. Like, you know, Do you have any criticisms? Do you have any, anything you like about it? Anything you don't you know, like? I just, knowing how graphic, you know, uh, that kind of scene could be played out today and shot today. I really appreciated the fact that I didn't have to live through that <laughs> in this movie. Like I could tolerate the the quick shots and the no piercings. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it wasn't as scary as you know something we'd see today, but eh, it was successful. Yeah, it still gets me sometimes. Like sometimes when I'm in the shower and like I'm doing that part where you gotta wash like the soap out of your hair and stuff, and you can't see for a minute. I get uh. a little, sometimes I get a little. <laughs> Like, what if right now? No, when you're in the shower, I'm going to, like, put those strings. Like, I <laughs> haven't played that That'd track. Be cold as ice. <laughs> you love scary. Uh, uh, but I do think the length of the scene made it more effective. Like, if it was just short, it wouldn't have been as much. Yeah, yeah. I think the length really helped make it more scary. Yeah, yeah. Everything from the music to the... And also, like, the cutting, like... That was pretty crazy back then too. You know, you know, you never cut that much, mm-hmm. which is crazy because nowadays you can't get a fucking film to hang on their shot for the life of you. Everything cuts so much. Yeah. So yeah, that was very jarring for the audience at the time. And Janet Lee has actually gone on to say uh, she never took a shower again after that. She only took baths. Wow. She, she said she was so fucking scared of the shower that even when Jamie Lee Curtis was little, she didn't let her take showers either. What? So she didn't take a shower until she was an adult. She said it actually like screwed up, like not screwed her up as a kid, but like. She just, like, didn't understand, you know? Like, she was just, like, like, people were talking about showers, and she's like, I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> like you take baths, you know? Like That's so. insane. And also so much work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but she was just, like, she said she was just too scared, like, to just the idea of being that. Because she yeah. said she never thought about how vulnerable you are in the shower in life until that moment. But she's like, fuck, you're, like, trapped in this box. You can't go anywhere. You're naked. Everything is wet and slippery. Yeah. You can't defend yourself. Like, she was just like, it all clicked to me. that Like, yeah, this is the scariest place in the world to be is the oh, shower. <laughs> I <laughs> like it. <laughs> so she said she, she never took a shower again. <sighs> I don't want to take a shower. <laughs> we don't have a bathtub, so you better take a shower. <laughs> you just thought you were going to play the strings and shit. And scare, and now you're like. I don't want to do it. <laughs> so she's now dead. Norman cleans up. She's dead. Yeah. Yeah, I was completely thrown off by that. Yeah, like so you didn't think you didn't think it was gonna happen that early. No in the movie. way. Again, I thought I ghost scenario. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was like the last scene in this movie. Yeah. So it was brilliant to put that right there. Yeah. So then from there we see Norman kind of clean everything up. You know, the the person doing the killing is cloaked in black, but they do you do kind of tell they have like a bob haircut. Mm-hmm. And as the person's leaving, you do kind of see a dress mm-hmm. as they walk out the door. You oh, actually no. The more interesting part is so then you see that person leave. Then you see Norman run in and he's freaking out. Yes, he's seeing the dead body and he starts yelling and screaming and he's mother, what did you do, mother? Mm-hmm. And then he just immediately starts cleaning it up to basically cover for his mom. Yep. Then basically from there we just move on to Marion's sister, played by Vera Miles and Sam, from what we saw from the first scene kind of hiring a private investigator searching for the missing Marion 
and then eventually making their way to the Bates Motel to try and figure that out. The sister hired the private investigator? I thought the the rich guy did. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, the... um. The guy who she stole the money from hired yeah. a private so investigator. The, the guy she stole the money from hired hires a private investigator so that way they don't have to like press charges or anything and they could deal with the situation without involving the cops, right? Yeah, that was it. Where I think he That was nice of him. Yeah, yeah. Like they were like they basically seemed like they were gonna like give her like a slap on the wrist. You know, yeah. just being like, Don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> you got a cute face. Um, don't mess it up. We're playing coy about a lot of this shit uh, because of the big spoiler in the movie. So I think let's move into the spoiler section. It's intriguing. You're going to want to <laughs> know what happens. So watch the movie if you want, if you haven't seen it yet. Spoil it. Spoil it. So you find out his name was Bates. <laughs> That's why it was Bates Motel. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to jump to the end. Jump get, to the end? We're going to get it. Not the end end, but I want to talk about what this movie is actually about. And I keep having to like censor myself because okay. we don't want to tell what happens at the end. Cool. You can so start it out like We'll that. just jump there and then we'll go back. Okay. So, you know, throughout the movie, we keep hearing Norman and his mom arguing. You know, the, from the way he's acting, she's killing these people and he's cu- cleaning it up for her. At one point, the private eye is walking up the steps of the house and then... From in a nice wide shot, we see the mom come outside and stab him, mm-hmm. and, he, and he gets killed there. So it's another death, this and that. And then at the very end, we get the twist where Lila is now in the Bates's house, trying to figure out what's going on, where his sister is. She goes down to the fruit cellar where we knew that Norman put his mom after she killed the second person. She sees her in a chair, turns the body around, and then that's when we see the decomposed corpse of the mom, yes. who was dead the entire time. And then she turns around and there's Norman standing in the doorway, fully dressed in his mom's dress and wig, brandishing a knife the way that we've been seeing the killer brandish the knife the whole movie. Yeah. And then he gets taken down by Sam and gets arrested. So the twist, what a twist, (laughs) the whole time was that the mother has been dead since Norman was like a teenager. Norman killed his mom and then has been living alone, crazy in this house where he, her personality is half of his personality now. And he not only talks to her as if the corpse is alive but when he puts the dress on them and the hair on he thinks this is what his mother's doing yeah in his mind he's not going like oh i'm putting this on so now when you go back and then you see him freaking out because when you first see him freak out of the the murder i guess hang on now that's out there Mm -hmm. what was your experience Well, first of all, I I knew right off the bat that the mom was definitely, like, she had to have been dead. Like, there was something going on with the mom that was just not normal. So, at the point where, you know, Lila and Sam go talk to the sheriff and they reveal that the mom's been dead for, like, 10 years or something. I, for some reason, went to the supernatural part where i was like oh the ghost of the mom is still around Mm. (laughs) like i just i don't know why my mind went there um but now knowing how it all went down it makes i'm and i'm thinking of one scene in particular when when lila's in the mother's bedroom and you see the dent in the bed yeah and that's from the dead body like that really now is sticking with me like wow (laughs) you know the whole time yeah so i'm just curious for you as someone who's never seen this like, the very first time when we hear Norman and his mom get in that argument about oh, Marion, what, what were you thinking? Yeah, I thought that was a real argument. Yeah, I yeah, kind of yeah. want to go back and listen to it again because, you know, I, I'm sure they didn't overlap. But for some reason in my head, when I heard it for the first time, it sounded like 
there were two people having separate conversations, which is, I mean, two people having one conversation. Mother, she's just a stranger. She's hungry and it's raining out. Mother, she's just a stranger. As if men don't desire strangers. As if, oh, I refuse to speak of disgusting things because they disgust me. You understand, boy? Go on, go tell her she'll not be appeasing her ugly appetite with my food or my son. Or do I have to tell her because you don't have the guts? Huh, boy? You have the guts, boy? Shut up! Shut up! So, I thought that was very clever, the way they did that. All the twists and turns in this movie, I gotta say, really worked on me. (laughs) Nice. Awesome. Yeah, because I was curious to how much you were gonna know that she was dead, like, early on. Because they they, they never show her, so you always see them arguing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know this. I cheered when the... When anybody... When every time someone went into the house, because I was like, yes, I want to see the mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, so, like, I don't know. Like, where was your brain in the scene when he's carrying her to the fruit cellar and, like, she's talking, but her body's not moving? Like, at that point where you were like, oh, that's a dead body? I wasn't even paying attention to the body not moving. (sighs) That's awesome. I thought it was an old lady being like... That's awesome. See, that's why I did, like, ah, shit, that's great. Because <laughs> I, I feel like he knows what people are paying attention to, and then he takes advantage of that to, yeah. like, mess with you. It's great. I was just so, like, I just did not know if any of that was going to work on you. Like, I just didn't know. I thought right away you are going to be like, yeah, yeah, no, it's him. Like, Because <laughs> even in the shower scene, like, he still looks pretty masculine. Even though it's just a silhouette, and yes, it has the bob haircut. To me, it looked like it looked like a dude. You know, it didn't look like an yeah. old woman. Well, that's why I think I went the supernatural part. Uh, like, I think that's why my mind went that way. Nice, nice. Like, she's, like, haunting the motel, yeah, you know? Yeah, Interesting. So, I have a qu- quick question. Yes. The P.I., is he... He gave me, like, ten angry men vibes. Was he in something else? <laughs> You're missing two. It's Twelve angry men. Twelve angry men. <laughs> Um, I love I, that movie too. I do not know. He just seemed v- very familiar. Was he the guy in that movie we watched randomly on old TV? No, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> on old TV. Oh, with the black guy who starred in the horror movie with the bad audio. This woman, this white woman, her her brother got murdered, and now they're in a house hiding from zombies. Oh, and he was like, get night, it together, night woman. Of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to know what you're talking <laughs> You get it, everyone. Holy shit, he was juror number one on 12 Angry Men. Oh my god, I did wow. it! I did it. Nice. I I I have a good... I can recognize faces. Yeah, you really can. <laughs> I, I can't recognize nobody. <laughs> All I'll, right. Half the time I'm like, is that the same guy from the beginning of the movie? And you're like, yeah. And like, god, it's wow, that's great. I'm patting myself on yeah, the back right now. That was now. great. I, uh, he wasn't in The Living Dead, but he was in... Uh, All right. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Um, that was my question. Nice. <laughs> but I did really enjoy that character. The way he asked questions and interrogated people, I thought it's very easy for that role to kind of come across as like very sleazy or like Yeah. I just thought it was scripted and played very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that... I really appreciated that character. Didn't expect him to die, but totally made sense and kind of up the stakes yeah i think it needed to also because this is a movie with like two deaths so yeah. you know it's it's not you compare it to modern slashers and it's like yeah, it's yeah, nothing yeah. but you know they're very memorable deaths in my opinion but the one observation i did like and this kind of plays into what i was talking about earlier about them kind of setting the stage where like the woman is the bad guy and 
sorry, I'm forgetting their names. The main lady. Marion. Where Marion's the bad guy and Bates is the good guy. Yeah. I feel like that got twisted when the PI asked to see the books. Uh-huh. And you see that the alias that she's put down, but the last time she speaks to Bates, he asks her what her name is. And she says her last name, Crane, which is her actual last name. Yeah. So when you look at the books and see her alias, it just proves that she was honest to him in her last moments yep. alive. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Which, I don't know. It was very minute detail, but, like, it really stuck out to me. Yeah, I mean, I thought their their conversation is kind of, like, what made her change. You know, mm-hmm. like, like, we made it like, fuck, I gotta go back. I can't do this. You know, all this <laughs> stuff. Yeah, totally. I And I, I just felt like... Bates as a character was just like, oh crap! Like back when I thought that his mom actually murdered her, yeah, I feel like at first he didn't really feel that bad because he had the mindset where like she's a bad woman running away from a bad thing she probably did. Mm. But then when he learns that from the PI that her last name is actually Crane, he starts to actually feel some guilt. Yeah, that's what I kind of took away from that. All right, yeah, Norman's a hard character, and also for me, it's. A little bit harder to talk about it because a lot of the stuff is a little bit more inferred in this movie, and then I'm kind of letting the knowledge of future stories mm. come into my brain. I see, including that I just watched the f- first season of I finished the first season of Bates Motel yesterday. But those are other people's interpretations of that character, right? Oh, definitely. It's not Alfred. It wasn't involved in any of the other Psycho movies. No, they had to wait till he died before they could even make. Oh him. wow! Yeah, so like he died in 1980, and then the Psycho two came out like 82. Oh, see, so, I like, kind of second he died, they were like, "Fuck it, put a production." <laughs> I kind of wanted. I kind of wish there was something out there where he commented on the character and like sort of did a beyond the credits kind of thing. You know, uh, yeah, like yeah. I'd love to know, and the writer as well. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's interesting. There's a Psycho two book. But that's not what the Psycho 2 movie is. So, like, mm. there's the there's the direction the author took and then the direction that the studio took. So, a little fun piece of trivia that I got is um, this is the first film to ever show a toilet. <laughs> what? Um, it was considered very unseemly back then to show a toilet. So, if they ever built it. Yeah. How dare you? I was already clutching my pearls and <laughs> I have to clutch them again. I never did. <laughs> Yeah, if you ever included a bathroom, you just wouldn't show a toilet. You would just show a sink and a bathtub and a and a mirror. So he literally wrote it into the plot, so that way they couldn't <laughs> tell him not because she rips up the the note she wrote and then put those in the toilet. That is so funny. It. That's actually funny too because I recently saw a meme where it was a shot of the Brady Bunch bathroom uh-huh. and there's no toilet. Yeah. So like a bunch of people were freaking out being like, why is there no toilet in the Brady Bunch? But that makes so much sense now. I, mean, yeah. I, say that. I haven't watched the Brady Bunch in forever, but actually, no, I think the parents slept in the same bed, but um, I know I love Lucy for sure. Lucy and Ricky had separate beds. Oh yeah. 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 A little nerdy DP stuff that I thought was cool was uh, he worked out a thing with the DP where almost the entire movie was shot with 50 millimeter and 35 millimeter lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, no, sorry, my bad. 50 millimeter lenses and 35 millimeter cameras. And the reason he did that is because the 50 millimeter lens is kind of, it's pretty similar to like how the human eye sees things. You know, because if you have a lens that's too deep, you're seeing farther than you could see. You're too wide, you're seeing wider than you could ever see. Right. 50 is pretty close to our vision. So he thought by shooting it almost entirely like that, He's literally putting us like in the movie with these people mm. and just making it a more personal experience. I just thought that was cool. Like I yeah. thought that was like a, a cool choice to 
to go with. I like that. I can say this now because I couldn't say it earlier in the non-spoiler section. But the other thing he did to avoid people spoiling this movie for themselves is while they were casting the movie, because he's Hitchcock, people talk about, oh, Anthony Perkins is in the new Hitchcock movie. Oh, yeah. new movie. They put out a bunch of fake articles about who they were looking at to play Norman Bates' mother. And so they had all these fake, like, maybe this famous actress, maybe this. And, uh... they, and then they like said, like, oh, this person's going to play the mom. So that way, audience at the time would go in thinking that the mom was alive because they're like, oh, I read about it. Like, fucking blah, blah, blah is playing her. I really wish there was more effort put into throwing us off these days. That I, is amazing. I fucking hate movie trailers <laughs> these days. Yeah, let's show you the entire movie. No, we love being surprised. Yeah, <laughs> I, I almost never watch trailers anymore unless I'm at the movie theaters. Like, yeah. There were even times, I think it was because uh, I didn't want to watch any trailers for Endgame, Marvel Endgame. Yes. There were times where I would bring headphones with me to the movie theaters, and then if I saw that it was about to be that trailer, I would wow. put my headphones in and I would watch a video on YouTube. That's hilarious. Just because, like, at a movie theater, what are you gonna do? You can't. You just close your eyes. You're gonna hear it. I know. I know that about you that you hate watching trailers before you know for a movie that you actually want to see. But yeah. I didn't know that you did that. Yeah, for that one specifically, because I was like, you know what? That goddamn cliffhanger was so cool at the last movie. Yeah. I don't want to know what's gonna happen. I just want to see it. Yeah. But yeah, so I just wanted to. That was my last Hitchcock hiding spoilers fact, but <laughs> I couldn't say that. A fake casting for the mom without us telling us that the mom was dead the whole time. Yeah, that I that is awesome. Last thing I want to say about the PI. Yeah. Avergast. What's his name? Arbogast. Arbogast. Yeah. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and like everyone has normal names. Lila, Sam. Well, I think it was his last name. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think All they right. just called him by his last name. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the hell, Arbogast? <laughs> that's all so remember robes yeah (laughs) actually no because i never wore a robe i never had a robe when lila oh lila um what her what's her sister's name is it lila well this marion was the one who dies first yes great so when lila and (laughs) sam When Lila and Sam go to the deputy sheriff's house and they're wearing robes, like, they come downstairs, yeah. I'm like, wow, this is so, like, what a way to date. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone buy those anymore? Do I people wear them? I feel like I'll never see them on TV and shit. Uh, one time I stayed in a hotel and they, they gave me some robes, you know? Oh, no. I mean, they usually do. Yeah. But one time I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to put a robe on afterwards and, like, hang out. Yeah. And I did it and, like, I just didn't like it. Like, <laughs> I was just still, like... It just felt like an extra step between, like, me and, like, what I'm going to sleep in. Because mm. like, then I, like, I, I got all showered and I put on my robe and I like, laid on my bed to, like, watch a movie. Yeah. And then I was like, now I'm just going to get all sleepy and I got to get up and get changed. Like, why not just put on what you're going to sleep in after you take a shower? True that. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I didn't was... care for it. I didn't feel luxurious. <laughs> well, I guess I get it because the idea of the robe is that you're in your sleepwear, which is inappropriate, so then if, if you did have to answer the door, uh, right. you could throw the robe over your pajamas. Like, if you slept in your underwear or something. I guess that's what they're supposed to be for. I guess so. Because we've seen it both ways, right? That way that you just described like, that's it, what it was in this movie, coming out of the show, shower. Because yeah. they show up at night, so yeah, they throw on yeah. some robes. Like, they're not going to put on jeans. Uh, or, or actually, back then, a fucking full suit. They're not going to put on a full <laughs> suit to go answer the door. What a time. Oh, man. One thing that I thought was funny in a way, was, you know, Marion really wanted Sam to meet her sister. 
you know, and kind of like have that normal relationship. Yeah. So when they actually end up teaming up to find out what happens to her, I thought that it was a very interesting way to get acquainted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like what a way to break the ice. Yeah, in the book, they they end up like falling in love and shit, but Hitchcock is just like, what's the point? Freaking. <laughs> like why? Why? Why put that in my the beyond the credits? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> stealing my beyond the credits in 2020. Oh, that's funny. Oh, yeah, so now that we know the ending, uh, I want to go back to that parlor scene with the taxidermy. Yes. Uh, I think that shit works so good late, like, once you know the whole plot of the movie, because A, his mother's basically a taxidermy project, just like his birds. Oh, wow. You know, it's his mother's dead corpse that he that he preserved and keeps around and, you know, this and that. That's crazy. Um, I didn't think about it that way. And, like, the way he, like, refers to the birds as, like, he likes birds because they seem harmless when they're stuffed. Versus like beasts, what he says and stuff like that. And so I just, I find that a lot of that applies to how he looks at his mother. Mm. Where he's like, yes, she's dangerous, but she's also harmless and this and that. And uh, I just thought that was a really cool. Like, once you know the truth, you know, yeah. it's, it's a great scene to rewatch. I I really like that. See, I wasn't even thinking about the mom this whole time. Oh, well, you're not, yeah, you're not really supposed to. I know. I'm just, it's crazy. It's crazy. I love it. Um, because you know he starts that con- whole conversation about referring to Marion eating the sandwich like a bird. Yeah. So again, my mind was all about like Marion seeming like a good person. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot uh, to it. Yeah, it's great. Layers. Yeah, layers. So the last thing that the production code actually had a huge problem with <laughs> was the use of the word transvestite in the script at the end of the movie. Really? Nobody said that word back then, so like they just thought like that word was like unseemly. It like, actually did pull me out of it for a second. I was like, "Whoa!" They actually said the word. <laughs> and but I actually liked it because they used it incorrectly. But then the doctor still is like, because they're like, "Oh, so he's a transvestite," and he's like, "Not exactly. Like yeah. he's not he's not trying to transition into a woman. Like he's he's a split personality where he thinks he's his mother. You know." But yeah, that um apparently they had a huge problem with that. They thought like. Oh, you're hiding something dirty with that word, like this and that. And the writer literally had to pull out a Webster's dictionary and look it up in front of them and point them and be like, "Look, it is a legal medical word. Like this isn't wow. This isn't me just being like, ooh, I'm saying, you know, bad shit for the sake, you know, whatever." That's crazy. Um, I really dug that whole delivery explanation about the ending. <laughs> Bates, yeah. Um, that's funny. I'll, I'll I'll retouch it on best worst, but um, I'm actually I'm. I'm pretty split on that scene oh interesting so i don't really think it needs to be there but i do think for 1960 it needed to be there so hitchcock added that because he was actually worried people weren't going to understand it yeah he thought if it just ended on them arresting norman it was going to be too weird because again this is a time where we didn't talk about these kind of things crazy people were crazy it wasn't it wasn't what kind of mental disorder do you have or you know like do you have aspects of this and this? It was just like, oh, that person's crazy. That person's, you know, this and that. Like, like lock them up. All that kind of shit. Right. So people weren't as interested, or the general public, I should say, weren't as interested in, like, having explanations to stuff like this. So he doesn't know if their mind would have known, like, oh, when Norman puts on the dress, he becomes his mother. Like, that was so out there for mainstream audiences that he had to include this whole scene at the end of The Doctor. Mm-hmm. Just talking his ass off and telling you every single thing that happened. Spelling to it out for Spelling you. Spelling it out real clear. <laughs> so, I get why it's there, and I 
he probably made the right call, but when I watch it by today's standards, I'm like, if that wasn't a modern movie, I'd be like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> like I'm not an idiot. You know, like, if Hereditary ended with a doctor telling me, okay, so first, the grandma wanted to do this. And he's like, no, you just end yeah. the movie and let me stew on it for a little while. But I thought the way it was delivered so dramatically, <laughs> you know, actually made it oh, entertaining to watch. Yeah, it was well made. To. I think the actor did a good job. And then the last shot of Norman, I think, is the fucking best like yeah with with the mom's voiceover where she took over like the entire personality and now he doesn't even exist anymore it's mad creepy and that actor was so good that whole thing he's like i'm not even gonna kill this fly and that's what they'll say she can't even hurt a fly <laughs> and then he has the smile and then you see the corpse skull uh go over they're probably watching me well let them let them see what kind of a person i am i'm not even gonna swat that fly I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. Actually, I say it's the final shot, but the final shot's the car coming out of the thing. I don't know. We didn't need that. I mean, it's fine. Yeah, I don't think it I think it could have ended on the other shot. Um, Who am I to fucking tell Hitchcock what to do? (laughs) Yeah, that that delivery, though, was very, like, holded in Mindhunter. (laughs) Yeah, it was, but like at least that shows about people giving explanations. Yeah. Like we never met any of these characters. It just seemed like tacked on to me personally. Okay. Spoiler alert, it's my worst scene. Oh no. <laughs> the book is and the movie are actually pretty similar. Um they didn't change a lot, but there were a couple of few minor things that I thought were kind of interesting. Mm. Um the main thing is Norman Bates himself. So in the book, he's middle-aged, fat, bald has glasses and is a uh, drunk wow so they, he's a drunk yeah so they purposely wanted to go the opposite route to get someone in their 20s handsome as all hell like anthony perkins you know thin slender like like they just wanted to get like a clean cut looking boy scout and go that route instead of he was because they really wanted to play up like the sad old man who never moved out of his mother's house yes. like they were going that aspect and he actually only dressed up as the mom and did the killings when he was blackout drunk. Mm. So he would drink all night, get blackout drunk, and then do the killings. Oh, interesting. While he was blacked out and then wake up in the morning and then think it was his mother and all that stuff. You know what I mean? So they decided to change that. And then the only other real change is, and it's obvious why they changed this for censor purposes, but uh, he cuts Marion's head off in the shower. When he kills her in the book, as opposed to just stabbing her to death. Ugh. But, like, he's like, how are you going to film that in 1960? How are you going to clean that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were able to see the whole process of him cleaning exactly. up the motel room. If you chop a head, blood's everywhere. Um, yeah. Which, also, hilarious. I, the way he was washing the blood off the floor, I was like, that's not. Yeah, you were like, your technique is bad, guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was looking, I was all, Andy knows, I was judging his mopping technique. Yeah, I thought, I thought, I thought serial killers were supposed to be fucking mad good at cleaning up <laughs> well i mean it makes sense you know the the whole throwing off thing it, he didn't commit it or yeah he hasn't committed yeah i i agree with the last change they made the and the first i think that if he was a drunk in the movie it kind of taints the whole psychological aspect of it yeah i loved what they did with it i yeah. loved like the like looks all nice on the outside but then has all these weird demons eating him up on yeah. the inside it's not always because of alcohol. It's you might have yeah. real demons. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I also really like the juxtaposition of kind of like old school mentality and then more new school stuff where 
Marion was definitely an example of like a modern 1960s woman, like, you know, she's having sex before marriage, hanging out in her bra, like, you know, mm-hmm. she, she commits some crimes. And then it looked like to me that Norman was raised very old school traditional, you know, where it's like, you know, if you look at a woman, that's sinful. If you, if mm. you, if you have all these bad thoughts and, and things like that, to the point where the justification of it all works better in the film when he is the Norman we see as opposed to like a drunken slob mess Norman. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if he was raised on these like extremely strict conservative values, maybe even religious, they don't go into it in the film, but it kind of seemed like his mom might have been like a, a bit of a nut mm-hmm. for religion and like sin and all that stuff. So I think it works better by having him not be someone who doesn't imbibe in substances or or do anything weird, fun, this and that. Yeah. And then the addition of the fact that the hotel's empty because they built that highway. I like that because A, for plot right purposes, it just makes it make sense why there's no one else at the hotel ever and why they can get away with these murders. Mm-hmm. But B, it is, again, just that kind of old school versus modern where, you know, there weren't super highways when they first opened that hotel. And then now nowadays we build highways in every major city so we could just drive right through them. As opposed to, you know, seeing the local fair and stopping at the local motel. So, you yeah. know, they literally, like, lose business because of it mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So, I think that's all just a, a really interesting thing to explore. And it works better by not having Norman be, like, fat and sad and old totally. and uh, drunk. And, again, along the lines of, you know, spoiling things. If he's, you know, not attractive looking and drunk and everything, we're automatically going to think he's a bad guy. Yeah, you're going to, yeah, yeah, you're not going to have those moments of... You wouldn't necessarily believe it when he comes in. He goes, mother, what happened? You know, yeah. like and all that crazy stuff. Uh, all right. I think people are sick of me. So, <laughs> I... <laughs> Not anyone who loves Hitchcock. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, I think we should have a little more fun now and just play some best words. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. Best words, Bobby. <laughs> Andy. Best worst of our children. Like Louise. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I'm going to get movie nerd here and I'm going to go best worst shot. Oh. Or like shot sequence, I guess. It doesn't be a single shot. Wow. Um, I did choose single shots, but you can. I'll let you. I'll... Single shots? Yeah. Best worst. One shot. You only no, get I mean, one shot. I mean, a not... shot versus like. If there's like three shots strung together to make like a sequence. Oh, okay, okay. I'm saying okay. you can pick a sequence or as long as it's short. You, know, you can't be like the 10 minutes where this happens. Uh, so for me, my best shot was after the killing in the bathroom when Marion is laying face down. And then the camera is doing an extreme close up on her eyeball. Mm. And uh, and you just kind of, it's just like, she just looks like, it's like a scary. Like you're looking at the right of the dead corpse. Yeah. And then it just slowly does that pull out as it then like turns over. And you see the rest of the room. And I just thought it was like a really well done slow pan, especially yeah. for, you know, the kind of technology we had at the time. It's 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 a lot it's a lot harder to get that with focus and everything. I'm gonna preface this with I'm terrible at science and I don't know how eyes work, but I do think it's somehow impressive that her pupil size stayed the same throughout that whole show. Oh shot. yeah. Yeah. I don't know any I don't <laughs> like know. Like with lighting and everything, yeah. I just feel like it changes. Uh-huh. I don't know how she was able to like focus and not blink for that long. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I think some something even, in there is impressive. It's not, it's not even not blinking. It's not breathing. You can't breathe. Because yeah. you see the chest go up and down. Yeah. So that was my best. <laughs> 
I feel like if I rewatch this movie, I will have another scene that's better than what I'm about to choose. So for future Masha, she's going to listen to this and be like, oh, you idiot. You should have picked that other scene that is amazing. But for now, I will choose the scene where Marion's driving in the car and we see that creepy smile. Oh, yeah. That's a good shot. Yeah. That because also it's very similar to the last shot of Norman doing the smile. Yeah. So it's almost showing like how close are all of us to being a quote unquote psycho. You know what I mean? Like, is it only just a couple of actions that that change us from the sane normal part (laughs) of society? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. And then worst. uh, I know what you're going to say. You do? You're going to say the car shot. No. Oh, never mind. (laughs) Um. No, I don't. Bl- Why? Because the green screen way they do car shots. Oh, at the end of the movie. Yeah. Oh, oh they meant her driving in the car. No, no, the no, no, screen. no. <laughs> eh, actually, maybe. <laughs> well, like, no, because again, I, I did shot, so I'm I'm talking more about the way something was shot, not like the importance of the story. Gotcha. So the car. Sh- I wasn't mad at how they shot the car coming out of the <laughs> thing. Um, this might just be because, you know, wasn't around in the '60s. Um, so. You know, in general, when you watch older stuff, some stuff is just going to look outdated by your modern sensibilities. So, For all I know, this worked amazing for, for people back then, but, um, and it comes after one of my favorites. See, one of my f- the scariest parts to me is right when the mom, or when Norman kills the P.I., her him coming out of that room scares the fuck out of me to this day. I don't know why it just works so well. Uh-huh. The camera's above, and then like it's out of nowhere. The second he steps out of the room, it just ning ning ning. It just it <laughs> always gets me. I, I still get scared by it. Wow. But the method at which they shot him falling down the stairs was a little silly to me. Mm. Um, it was cool because the only other way to do it would be to go wide and have like a, a stunt performer do it. But then it could look a little funny. Yeah. And I do think it's cool that they thought of a way to you actually get to see that actor's like face, but just by knowing it, how, how the green screen works and stuff, like I just know he's not falling. Like I just know he's he's going oh in front of a green screen, <laughs> and this the, the way it was shot just kind of throws me out of the scene a little bit. I see. Uh, it's it's not bad. I just think it's just a different like we've we've gotten better tactics since then. And so it it's it just looks a little a little too cheese for me. Yeah. I would I would say too, you know, I was familiar with the shower scene, so mm. I think I wasn't judging it as harshly, but with this one too, I kinda had that same like <laughs> The falling? Yeah. Yeah. So But what about when he first gets to the top of the stairs? Oh yeah, I totally was it. <laughs> oh yeah, that was scary. Um, that was my worst. Cool. Um, my worst I don't know. I might have to tag on to that one just because I can't think of a worse. There's not a lot of bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty fucking masterfully shot movie. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, what's your, what, you got a best worst for me? Oh, I have one best worst. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was very hard for me to think of one for this one. But since we're talking about psychos, I personally think there's more than one psycho in this movie. Ooh. <laughs> So best and worst psycho. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's kind of hard. <laughs> I mean, I'm inclined to say Norman personally, but what's your best? I'm personally going to be cheating here because I'm not necessarily holding best and worst at the same standards. I'm kind of cho- be- picking and choosing what is best about them and what's worst about them. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Norman was my best psycho. Just in terms of... on. 
on multiple for multiple reasons. One, the way that actor plays him, which first of all, did we already talk about? You didn't mention like if he appeared in anything else what do you besides mean? Psycho, the actor who plays Bates. Uh, Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Uh, he was pretty famous. I I can't think of something off the top of my head, but he was pretty well known at the time. Okay. I don't even know if he was if this was known at the time, but um, of eh, I guess I gotta look this up. He's a gay actor, and I don't oh. know I don't know when he became openly gay. He might I know he was hiding it at some point in Hollywood. Yeah. But the the idea of like him playing this person who's like not comfortable in his skin, you know, not that all gay people dress as women, but obviously that's silly, but. Uh, to hmm. say that, but um, you know, it's just by nineteen six. It's it's interesting. It's interesting to get a gay actor to play this character. I think right. It's kind of like he. I mean, you're kind of putting the actor and the character together, which isn't really what you're supposed to do. They're supposed to be separate. But I can see how if you kind of put that filter on Norman's character, it's kind of like he's suppressed who he is for so long and allowed his mother to take over because. Yeah. Maybe if we dig in deeper into like the mother possibly having that religious aspect to her, he was never really truly able to be himself. Yeah. Um. But interesting. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. And I think just in broad sense is like you know being gay in the '60s, you're definitely gonna be felt like you're other. You know, you're not gonna feel right. like part of mainstream society. So even if the movie's not necessarily about that, like heck, it's them tapping into that isolation for Norman Bates. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he was creepy. He came out of nowhere. But he's one of those psychos that like. You don't really know he's a psycho. He's yeah. like undercover psycho. Yeah, he's my best. I yeah, think. he's great. Okay. So we both agree on that. Yeah. Uh, worst psycho. You so go. I'm curious to know. I don't even know. <laughs> you made this up, so I got to think about this. All right. So I personally think there are two other psychos in this movie. Okay. One is the guy who walks around with $40,000 in cash. <laughs> That's psychotic. <laughs> And the other is the woman who takes it yeah. and runs with it. Hey, you're killing me here. <laughs> All right, I agree that those are two, and I think I got to give it to the to the crazy rich guy, because um, at least Marion, we get to see her go through an arc and then learn that, like, she doesn't go through with it fully. Mm-hmm. You know, she wants to turn herself in and and like realize what she did was wrong. This guy is. He's just going to keep living his crazy life. I don't know. He just seemed like a rich jerk to me that's just showing off. <laughs> but I personally think that she's she was my worst. Yeah. I just didn't... I was angry with her, honestly. The whole, like... She was on screen for 30 minutes. I was angry for, like, 25. Yeah. Like, you know? <laughs> I just didn't under... I understood, like, what why her character was doing it. But I was just like, you really didn't have to. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it just seemed very random to me but uh yeah i thought she was my she was my worst psycho that's great <laughs> cool so my next best worst which is pretty broad but just best worst scene mm. in the movie and since i already said my worst i'm gonna start with the worst i think <laughs> it's the psychiatrist at the end explaining wow. every single thing you're supposed to know in this movie. i really like that part that's fine <laughs> i want to start with my worst too i think wow that's really hard I think my worst will maybe be the car dealership scene. Okay. Just because, and it there's really nothing bad about it. I just think, I guess I'm just a little salty that I fell for the whole, this being the main plot of the story yeah. thing. So I thought it was going to have more significance than it actually ended <laughs> up having the whole thing with the cop following her because she he was suspicious. Of course. Yeah. So Hitchcock famously hates the police. 
<laughs> like hates them, so he always makes them either like villains or stupid in his movies. Oh wow! And he's like petrified of them too. So he's I've heard him one thing where he described that scene of like he was like in the in my life there's nothing more scarier than a police officer. So the idea of her being chased by one, I just thought that was the most petrifying thing I could put on film. Like that's interesting <laughs> coming from a white man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently when he was a kid, like he had some like weird irrational fear of the police, and then like. They they did one of those things where they like took him to the police station, like locked him in a cell to like show him what it was like. Oh wow! And it like scarred the fuck out of him for the rest of his life. That is so crazy because they did the same thing to me in Girl Scouts. Uh-huh. Like they they let us visit a police station and then they locked us in a cell. But it didn't scar me as much as it did Hitchcock. Yeah, but yeah. I guess that's something they like to do. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. So my best scene. Uh, I, we we already spoke at length about it, but is the uh, the dinner in the in the office scene with the with the, the birds? Oh, with Marion and Norman in the foyer. Yeah, is it? Did they call it that? No, the parlor. They call the par- it in the parlor. <laughs> uh, I let's, think that was. Let's have some sandwiches and milk in the parlor. I think that you know that scene just has so much to chew on, like story wise. It's where you basically learn everything you do about Norman until the end, mm. and. Uh, I just love that you don't know which way the story's going. You're so preoccupied with Marion that you don't actually think this guy's evil. Like, you know, it's. I just think it's it's so subtle and beautiful. Yeah, you got a best. That's scene? a good one. Nice. So one. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually really love the Sam Lila collab when they're at the motel pretending to be a couple. Oh yeah, I love that because a lot of the times with these characters, they approach things like scenarios like this so stupidly. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you guys meant well, but you really didn't execute it very well. Yeah. And I thought they did a great job. Yeah, yeah. So I just love that they didn't let us down. Nice. Yeah, even like the way they figured out that Marion was there. Like I thought that was really smart. You mm-hmm. know, like it was had to do with her note. She didn't flush the whole thing. So then they, you know, like yeah, it wasn't just like some stupid like. Well, look, it's her purse, you know? Like, they actually thought about it. Yeah, it was awesome. Nice. And I, again, props to Lila. I just love that I didn't really watch many movies from this time, but I feel like they didn't depict women as very smart in a lot of these movies. (laughs) And I thought that Lila was very smart in this movie. So I appreciated that. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you, uh, you have any more best words? <laughs> that was my only one. Cool, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Considering how much we talked about it, yeah, too. Yeah, so. we, we, can, we, can, we can trim a little fat on this one. <laughs> Shall we move beyond the credits? Beyond. For beyond the credits, I'm going to let you go. I'll be honest. I don't know if it's possible for me to come up with anything. <laughs> I've watched, in the past two months, I've watched Psycho 1, 2, 3, and 4, and the show, and couple parts of the remake i just i don't know i feel like anything i say is going to be influenced on the things that i've seen oh no uh, about what happens next so uh how are you go i'm actually interested i'm so mad we, you mentioned it earlier but i thought that sam and lila and do end up together hey they might um so that's my beyond the credits <laughs> they might i know the answer but in terms of what happens to bates i actually i kept i went through this in my head a bunch of times and I couldn't come to a conclusion and I was like oh you know with us talking about it on the podcast I'm gonna land on something I still can't land on anything with him (laughs) 
like nothing that I consider good enough to actually be a sequel. Like yeah. I don't want to just throw out. Well, even like if you were like, because the original idea of Beyond the Creds wasn't necessarily write a sequel. It was more just like, what like does he spend the rest of his life in jail? Like, yeah. Because you know, I think with the production code, I think that was the idea. Because mm-hmm. remember, like how I said, you can't do bad things without being punished in movies. Right. So I think the idea of showing him getting locked up was that, and then he was locked up for the rest of his life, and they threw away the key. Yeah. You know, like. But I do think that obviously in prison he still is dealing with this kind of like dual personality. Yeah. So I would actually be interested to see a world where like or kind of ponder on it in my own head how that might come about in that scenario. Like how does he live his life in prison with that yeah, dual personality? That's interesting. Well actually if you remember one of the last li- I'm sorry, if you remember one of the last lines the doctor says is that they lost the Norman personality completely. Oh, true. And he's only his mother now. Like, yeah. can't, they can't even tap into Norman. So it wouldn't even be that he had a dual personality. You would just be, would be his mother. True that. All right, so then I think what would be fun is, since I know what happens, <laughs> just try and guess what the plot of oh, Psycho 2 is. Oh, this is fun. Uh, and I'm going to go for the record. Um, I won't go into all of them because we talked too much about this. <laughs> I didn't see it until about a month ago. Psycho 2 is pretty damn good. Oh. Like... It's not a masterpiece. It's not made by Hitchcock or anything like that. For a sequel to this that came out 23 years later after Hitchcock died, I think they did a really good job. I watch a lot of horror sequels, like a lot of them. It's one of the better ones. Nice. Um, I highly re- If you like Psycho, I highly recommend Psycho 2. I ended up watching all of them. Three's eh, and four was even worse. <laughs> so it's not like you have to stick with it. But they do all star Anthony Perkins, which is cool. And Anthony Perkins directs the third one. So after Hitchcock leaves, he kind of like becomes like the shepherd of the series. Aww. And then so yeah, he's he's in all of them. Cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you think happens in Psycho 2? Oh, I thought you were going to lay out like different scenarios and I was going to choose. Oh, no, no. I was, just, I was, <laughs> I was just, like, ooh, a guessing I, game. I was just giving my opinion. Oh, well. No, because if I, if I laid them out, you'd know exactly which one's Psycho 2. Oh, okay. Okay, so Psycho 2. And remember, this is 1983 now. So we're talking... We're and talking the, from 1960 to 1983, now we get Psycho 2. As in, but does the movie move forward 20 years? Yes. The okay. movie takes place the same year as the as the, it came out. Okay, so ugh, I'm really BSing right now. 20 years later, Bates gets released. Okay. Um, He still owns Bates Motel. Okay. And... Then he kills more people. <laughs> 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 then he meets Creaney and Marin, and he kills her. Wow, I really can't go forward. <laughs> uh, he... he still owns me. <laughs> you made it nowhere. <laughs> Listen. All right. He owns Bates Motel, but now he's fully his mother, right? Mm-hmm. So he he dresses as if it's her, and he, she... I don't know. I really can't. <laughs> I'm letting this go. Okay. I'm sorry. No, I, re- no. <laughs> I just want to know. I just want to know. Do we want to spoil it for our listeners, though? I mean, I just told everyone to go see Psycho 2. Oh. I I feel like you got it now. What was your plan? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have one. (laughs) I just didn't want to write it beyond the credits. You were going to be like, what do you think it is? All right, well, that's our show. (laughs) Well, I thought, to be fair, I didn't know you were going to give up. (laughs) <laughs> two sentences in i thought you were gonna like give a detailed thing and i was gonna be like pretty close but but you were just like i can't do this yeah jesus <laughs> all right what about this what about okay lila and sam are together right uh-huh. they petitioned to get bates motel like burned down like right. it's no use bunch of murders happened here blah 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 get burned down bates gets released 
no idea that that had happened. So he seeks to get revenge on Sam and Lila and or their descendants for destroying Bates Motel. Mm, pretty cool. All right. Yeah, not the plot, but pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so am I, am I telling it or what? I don't know. I, we, <laughs> I thought you had a plan here. I didn't know. I thought, oh, I just Jesus told you I plan. All right. We'll just we'll just label it in the in the description. Starting now, spoilers for Psycho Two. Even though Andy really encourages you to watch it, yeah, if you like Psycho, definitely. All right. So yeah, the first two sentences, right? <laughs> it's twenty years later. Uh, he gets released. Uh, he still owns Blaze Motel. Ah, three. Oh, well, I already t- I told you it was 20 years later. I oh. said it's 1983. Well, it's like the freebie on the test. You get five points for putting your name on. That's some bullshit. <laughs> Those are bad teachers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so he gets released. He he gets fully cleared to that he has overcome all of his mental issues. Mm. So he is truly Anthony Perkins. He's not the mom, so that's where you were on. Because oh. <laughs> I don't think they would have released him if he was dressed as his mother walking around being like, oh, Mrs. Bates. Don't you get it? You see the hat? I am Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> Snap out of it, Buzz. What if he was, <laughs> he was his mother pretending to be him? Ooh. So then he goes back, you know, he's, he's allowed to run the motel, live in the house, and he's got a psychiatrist who has been working with him for 20 years who's like, check, who wants to like check in on him and stuff. Oh, Halloween. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, as soon as he goes back in the house, he starts getting little glimpses of like his past, you know, remembering like he'll, he like, he's like, he thinks he hears his mother's voice for a second and this mm. and that, but he's just trying to block it out. He ends up getting a job at a diner because he can't open the motel right away or some shit. And then he meets this young woman and then someone on the property ends up getting killed and then it's basically the reason it works is because the whole movie plays on whether or not you think he actually recovered Mm -hmm. and maybe someone else is doing these things or if it's him again as the mother and it. it plays it really well um and vera miles comes back to play lila again you know she's still alive whoa i didn't know that yeah uh and then yeah, I don't think I want to get into all the spoilers. I think it's a really good movie. I feel like you're going to want me to watch this movie. That or I'll just tell you later. <laughs> um, an interesting premise. Yeah, I just think it's cool Like because they could have just easily done like he gets out and then he starts killing again. But like it plays more on the like the first half of the movie. You're truly on his side. And like everyone in the town is even a little sympathetic towards him. Like he's been through a lot. Like he's proven that he's he he's rehabilitated and he can live among us and stuff like that. And then... Uh, you know, like little things, like he invites one of his coworkers to spend the night because she has nowhere to live, you know? And then the next day he's at work, he's like a fry order cook. And then on, on the little slips of the thing, it's there's like a note in, in like a woman's handwriting says like, don't bring that bitch to my house, you know? So it's like, it's like his mother is still haunting him even oh, 20 wow. years later. And, uh, you know, he doesn't know, like, is someone writing these notes and fucking with him? Is this and that? And, um... Creepy. I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Um, and then the Psycho 2 book, which is hilarious, is, um, it also came out the same year as, uh, the year before the Psycho 2 movie, but Robert Block, who was all, like, annoyed at everything, like, you know, he didn't get a lot of money, this and that, and then he saw the whole, you know, by 1983, the slasher genre was in full effect, like, every year we were getting, like, five, you know, Sleepaway Camp, and Camp Massacre, and Friday the 13th, you know, all that shit, yeah. so he thought it was just very silly, 
And Psycho 2 does up. There's a lot more gore. It's like a lot more of an 80s slasher movie. Right. You know, like the kills are like brutal. It's it's not quite as like. Not for me. Not quite as tame as uh, as, as the movie we watched. Mm-hmm. Um, so his movie is about Norman Bates finding out that Hollywood is making a movie based on him. Wait, his book is about a making of a movie? Is about, yeah, it's like the character Norman Bates after the first book. Oh, that's Learns funny. that Hollywood is making a movie based on his life. And then he goes to Hollywood and like kills everyone on set because he thinks, it's, it's basically him writing like Hollywood's bullshit. And, wow. And you know, this and that. So when the studio read that, uh, that synopsis, they were just like, fuck you. Like, 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 like we're not going to make a movie of you making fun of us. So then they, they just had a writer write their own psycho that too. That is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then the Psycho 3. Psycho 4 is mostly a prequel, but Anthony Perkins is in it to, like, tell the... To, he, like, starts a backstory, and then it cuts back to young young Norman Bates. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, Bates Motel is... Bates Motel is interesting. Um, I like it because it's the first time, actually, out of all these movies... Like, I watched four movies. I watched the remake. Uh, it's the first time you ever see Norma Bates alive, like the mom. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, cool. Like, yes, obviously, it's not the way Hitchcock and Robert Block envisioned it because it's a different writer in 2014 writing it. Yeah. But I still find it really interesting. I'm like, this This is why I want to go back to Psycho because I'm now seeing it at an angle I didn't see. Uh... Every movie has always been about hers. She's been dead for 20 years and Norman Bates is dealing with it. This is, like, she's alive, you know? Like, I think, yeah. it's, I think it's really cool. Origin stories. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Have you ever heard of the remake before? It's infamous for being one of like the, the worst, like least well regarded remakes to ever come out. It's called the remake. No, it's called Psycho. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Gus Van Sant made it uh, right after Goodwill Hunting, so he had all this like goodwill, and then uh, <laughs> he wanted a. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I truly wasn't trying to do that. <laughs> and then he went hunting, and then that's when he had an idea. <laughs> That was fucking stupid. I, didn't even, I wasn't even like if I was trying to do it, that's a bad joke. You know what I mean? But I wasn't trying. And then he wanted to like pay respect to Hitchcock, so he decided to do. It's not a hundred percent a shot for shot remake, but I would say it's like ninety percent where he just copied the exact shots. I don't see the purpose in that ever. It's pointless. Ever. It's so bad, and all the actors are worse. <laughs> Vince Vaughn plays Norman Bates. Uh, and, Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Anne Heche plays uh, Marion Crane. It's just, it's all right. It's actually not good at all. <laughs> William H. Macy plays the detective or the PI. But, okay. Yeah, it doesn't work. I mean, it works in theater because you're, like, I don't mind it in theater. Like, I don't mind seeing a different play with different actors. But for some reason, in movie form, that's or TV form. That's because movies and TV is like last. Like you film it and it's there forever. It's like a show is a show. Right. Like every night you're yeah. getting that night's show. You True. Know? It's not like every night they're going to change the cut of Psycho a little bit. You, ooh, <laughs> Tuesday's Psycho was, was a little, a little yeah. longer than Monday's Psycho. Yeah. That must be it. So <laughs> it's just All money right. down the drain in that This point. franchise has been too much on me. On you. No, I'm just saying talking about it. Oh. <laughs> so I got... Uh, we may all go a little mad sometimes, Masha, but do you love what I love? I love it. Do I love Psycho? You know I don't like horror movies, and I guess this is, by many cinematic standards, considered a slasher movie. Yeah, but it was before that was a term, right. so you can't really put 
Like, it's put it on it retroactively. Yeah. But, you know, obviously, the way we're watching it, it's more of like a suspenseful murder mystery kind of thing, which I appreciated. And just the way that it was executed and the story was told and how you thought it was about one thing and then it turned out to be another thing was a, actually a fun ride for me uh-huh. um, and an unexpected one. So I think I might be, I think I might love it. Oh, I'm very surprised because I, I, I was on the border like being like, I really like this movie, but I think that everything was just so... Like, I had so much to say and talk about it, and I was actually, like, interested to, like, converse with you uh-huh. about it. Like, yeah, yeah. I think my interest in that alone, like, just seeing how many notes that I had, yeah. it was evident that I do love this movie. So nice. I'm uh, actually, I can't believe it. There's a part of me that's like, no, don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> He'll show you more scary movies if you love it. <laughs> No, the only thing it's really showing me is that I think we're going to have a great uh, time going forward watching other Hitchcock movies because you gravitated towards the stuff that's more traditional of his, mm. like the mystery and the intrigue and the suspense. So yeah. that's a lot more of what you get from him and less like, this person's killing everybody, you know, <laughs> yeah. that kind of stuff. That's nice. That's so fantastic. So I can't believe it. Um, I'm going to have to check the stats to see how... How many you've convinced me to love versus how many Ooh. I convince you to love? Because I feel like we're it's going to turn into some court, sort of competition. It could be. <laughs> and I forgot to mention this earlier too in Best Worst and Beyond the Credits. But just for you listeners out there, we want to know you know if you have any Best Worst that you want to share with us or Beyond the Credits theories because you know. It's fun yeah. <laughs> to like theorize and talk about best worst. So please let us know. Um, and you can shoot us an email. I don't know if anybody knows this at love what I love podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Oh, yeah. We're totally open uh, to get some dialogues going. And also, I mean, if you guys send in anything like that and they're really like funny or fun or creative, we'll just make a segment on the next episode where we go like, all right, we heard some fucking <laughs> great best worst for the last movie. Yeah. We'll take a moment. So yeah, if you want to contribute in any way, yeah, the Gmail is a great place. And as always, you know, we're always pushing the Facebook. Um, but I, I think those are two great ways to get into yeah. it. Anything from episode one till, I don't know. This one? Until this one. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. But yeah, I can't believe I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Also, if you have any opinions of what we discussed, follow us on social media at LWIL Podcast. It's a great place to find out what we'll be talking about next. And as always, if you have the time, please take a moment to rate and review. Every bit of feedback helps. I'm Masha. And I'm Andy. And I hope you love what I love.